Hello, Gamer Nation. GM Hurley here. Tonight's episode of the Forge and Genesis RPG podcast is brought to you by the generous donations of all of our amazing Patreon supporters. If you would like to become part of the Forge community, you can learn more at patreon.com forward slash Forge Genesis. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support us in continuing to provide you with amazing Genesis RPG content. Thank you to all of our fans for reblogging, retweeting, sharing our latest episodes, along with those who offer support and encouragement for this podcast. It truly is appreciated by both Chris and myself. For now, however, let's uh, get into another episode of The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast. Welcome to the Forge. Hello, Genomation, and welcome to The Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast covering everything that you need to know about the latest and greatest in Edge Studios' Genesis Foundry and the Genesis role-playing game. I'm your host, GM Hurley, and in staying with the theme of my intro to the last episode, tonight's episode is going to be a total bonza as we take yet another look at creating equipment for your campaign or Foundry product with an in-depth discussion on gear, and the one that you've all been waiting for, Attachments. We'll also be inviting special guest Kyle Scarb to talk about his collaborative offering on the Genesis Foundry, Hell is Full, a supplement for the Something Strange setting. And lastly, we'll open up the mailbag to answer more game and rules questions than you can shake a cassowary's foot at in Under the Hammer. But before all of that, let me introduce you to the bloke with the most... It's GM Chris. Chris, how you doing? <laughs> A total bonza. <laughs> oh, that's not. That's not a knife. That's a knife. That's not a knife. That's a spoon. <laughs> oh, I see you've played knifey spoony before. <laughs> Uh, very good. Excellent. Uh, oh, wow. Um, too right. Yeah, man. How are you doing, sir? I'm really, really well, my friend. Um, it's been a busy couple of weeks. To say the least. Yeah, just uh, since our last episode. So, um, so yeah, but no, I'm really good. Absolutely roaring to uh, get started on this episode just very quietly. Uh, we've got a lot to cover. So, yeah, we do. <laughs> so, what about what about we just get straight into it? What do you reckon? I reckon that's probably a good idea. <laughs> Very good. So, let's talk about stoking the fire. Stoking the fire. And welcome to Stoking the Fire, a segment dedicated to letting you learn all there is to know about the releases from the Genesis Foundry and the Genesis Role Playing Game. But first, Chris. Would you like to tell us about the D20 Radio podcast of the week? I think I certainly can. <laughs> All right, Gamer Nation, 
If you're looking for a wide-ranging tabletop role-playing discussion of a variety of guests and some occasional actual play content, you've got to take a listen to one of my favorite shows on the network, Me and Steve Talk RPGs. Mm. This podcast is phenomenal. It's conducted with a casual, conversational vibe, which if you listen to my shows, you know that's what I enjoy. You know, but uh, it goes back to 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 Steve and Steve's roots of talking for hours and hours outside their local gaming store um, and, and after games uh, that they would play, um, you know, about different RPGs. Mm-hmm. And in their latest episode, the Steves can be heard howling at the moon as they continue <laughs> with their it's been a great fun episode month for them. Their month <laughs> of horror with a deep discussion about werewolf the apocalypse. They are joined by Josh Heath, um, host of Werewolf the Podcast, also on the D20 Radio Network. And they discuss everything about the newest iteration of the werewolf RPG, uh, the Guru Nation, Gaia, and the Worm. And you can <laughs> find this and many more gaming and geekery podcasts, including Werewolf the Apocalypse, mm. over at d20radio.com. Mm-hmm. But don't forget uh, that after you've given these fantastic podcasts a listen, make sure that you also check out the amazing blog articles over at d20radio.com. Okay, so I know there's a certain level of bias. <laughs> that comes to me, but I've seen some really great content coming out of the blog uh, in the past few weeks. Uh, particularly, I've always lo- I always love his work, but man, mm. uh, one of our staff writers, Egg Embry, is just is just killing it. Mm. Um, we actually highlighted him recently, yeah. um, but but his his one of his most recent articles um, at the time of this recording uh, it took a hilarious look at the Excellence RPG. <laughs> I love the Excellence. It's it's a great great freaking game and. Much in tone with the game, Egg wrote an article to match. It left me in stitches, <laughs> um, as well as filling me with a lot of excellent ideas. Um, mm. the art- it, it's an article that takes a really good look at The Excellence, which is an RPG where you play cartoon princesses. <laughs> um, and uh, his idea of an adventure uh, as the princesses face off against gummy bears. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get enough of that oh, article. Egg. My God. <laughs> I love you, man. Uh, you know, most of us know Egg from his involvement with N-World, obviously uh, the Open Gaming Network, Tessera Guild, and his reviews for Knights at the Dinner Table. Um, so we are proud to have him as a staff writer, and he continues to pump out some pretty amazing content for mm. D20 Radio. So check it out, along with other fantastic articles and blog posts daily at d20radio.com. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was just absolutely peeing myself when I was reading that. I'm going, oh, that would be so cool. And I think I have to get a copy of The Excellence, actually. But anyway, um, because I think it would be great for playing with kids. Absolutely. I think that would be fantastic to to run around the table with with kids. That would be good. Anyway, uh, while surfing the aforementioned interwebs, why not head on over to the Genesis Foundry at DriveThruRPG, where you can find the latest and greatest Foundry releases, for the Genesis RPG. Now, this week's sort of news is huge, can I say. So, first up, we had the uh, release of Edge Studio's new website, uh, which you can uh, find at edge-studio.net, which is great, or edge-studio. I don't know. It sounds weird to say hyphen, but anyway. Um, so, uh, and right on the back of uh, their announcement a few months ago of the pending release of Twilight Imperium, Embers of the Imperium, the next Genesis RPG setting book, um, and um, you know it's the first to be released 
uh, under the Edge Studio brand. So we finally got, um, you know, this is this is exactly what it's going to be, and it yeah. looks glorious. Um, it looks glorious. We we those those who listen to the Order sixty six podcast, our most recent episode, we gushed about this because obviously the biggest thing coming out of this site release was also they announced that they're going to be doing a they will be producing a Star Wars RPG. Yeah, and the article was fairly ambiguous, but it it leads us to believe that they're maybe continuing or perhaps doing like an upcycled version. We hope, like maybe bringing in some of the Genesis mechanics. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of us feel that way because they also announced recently very heavily, and it's on the site that. With the existing Star Wars RPG, they're doing a ton of reprints, like a ton of reprints next year, <laughs> um, like 20 titles. They're reprinting all three core books, um, a lot of the older splat books, dice. They're starting. They're going to print dice again. We're going to get dice again. Um, <laughs> like it's it's going to be it's going to be great. And for a lot of people out there, especially that are just finding that Star Wars game and mm. are struggling to find those really hard to get a hold of um, uh, Edge of the Empire and Age of Rebellion supplements specifically, mm. they're going to be, you know, they're going to be doing the reprints so i cannot wait but huli they also have uh, flexed their muscles in um some uh uh, newer content we're not just necessarily waiting Mm. they've given us well they gave us a couple free things recently as well they did um so the uh as part of free rpg day um they uh had twilight imperium Ashes of Power, which Chris is holding up in front of me, uh, but uh, we're a uh, audio podcast, Chris. Uh- <laughs> Just gloating. <laughs> and it is, because uh, I haven't got my copy yet because I'm in Australia and their releases aren't until November. Thanks for that. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Like <laughs> But it is a absolutely beautiful book, and if that's sort of the the quality that we're going to get from uh, from Edge, I think everybody's going to be, continue to uh, to be happy about the releases that uh, FFG had before them. So yeah, um, yeah that it looks yeah, it, really good. It really is. It really is a phenomenal adventure. Um, uh, uh friend of the show, Max Brook, um, friend of the network, Max Brook. Um, and, and Michael Garanis wrote it. Um, and also shout out, uh, also, uh, we've had him on our very own podcast, Mr. Darren West. Yes. Uh, actually, uh, also did the proofreading for this, mm. uh, which is, is, is right there in the cover pages, which is very, very cool. Yeah. So this was really cool. The other thing they hit us up with, though, even a little closer to home and free to everybody, uh, via an article on the newly launched website, mm. um, for, for, for Realms of Terranoth. They gave us, coinciding with Free RPG Day, mm. a completely free, full, and frankly incredible module mm. um, called Lesser Evils, uh, which was written by our very own Phil Mayuski, uh, <laughs> GM Phil. Mm. Uh, and it was like they, because so basically FFG just just, just released um, the new Descent, yeah. uh, Legends of the Dark. Uh, their their board game, which obviously kicked off the Terranoth world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like to celebrate that and, and free RPG day, they just, yeah, like, here, here, here's a module. Here you go. <laughs> and it's phenomenal. Yes. Absolutely. Very, very good. Absolutely. Um, so go and check those out. And um, uh, at the moment, Ashes of Power isn't available as a free download, but we're told probably in around about a month or so, it should be available as well as a download from the website. So um, take a look at that. Um, now, there was also new content on the Genesis Foundry, uh, which um, uh, which was absolutely fantastic when we first saw it. Um, but we'll be talking more about all of the other releases 
uh, in our brand new micro episodes of Fuel for the Foundry. But one product that really set my mind ablaze about what I could be doing with, uh, with this particular genre is the foundry product, uh, called Hell is Full. And if you've, if you're a fan of, of The Walking Dead or Z Nation or anything that involves zombies, um, this is a product that you need to download and take a look at. It's absolutely amazing. It's fantastic. The layout and everything else is just beyond my wildest expectations for this particular product. Uh, but- yeah, it was. It was really, it was really impressive. And I don't want to give a, give away too much, guys, because we actually yeah. have Kyle Scarp, Scarpy coming on the show later yeah. on, uh, just tonight to come talk about this product with us. But we were, we were really impressed. Um, again, when, when, when one of these titles comes along that introduces clearly well tested, well designed and well balanced new mechanics options, mm. that's always a treat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, cause you, you can talk about layout. It was incredible. Okay. Mm. Theme. It was incredible. Okay. Mm. But the content was just really, really good. Um, and some of the new mechanics and sub, sub options for rules, sub rules options, new rules options, mm. especially to get across that survivalist feel. Yeah. Uh, were, were truly incredible. And I don't mm. want to give any more away because I know we're going to talk no. to about it, but, um, <laughs> Needless you know to what? say, we're, we're quite uh, enthusiastic. Uh, quite about enthusiastic. <laughs> well, what do you say, Huli? We just we plow right into the meat of tonight's show so that we can get to that conversation with Scarpy. Absolutely. Sounds like a good plan. The Furnace. And welcome to The Furnace, the segment where we take a deep dive into a topic concerning custom creations using the Genesis role-playing game. Tonight, we're going to continue our series about creating things for the Genesis RPG that focus on something we drove heavily into in the past couple of episodes, weapons, armor, equipment, and gear. And in this episode is the the third and uh, maybe the last, maybe not. We're not sure yet. Uh, for the time. <laughs> for the Tell time me. being. Absolutely. Um, in uh, Basically in our short series tackling uh, this topic. And tonight, however, we're going to talk about the ins and outs of creating gear and attachments. And, and this is going to be an interesting talk, too. I mean, after spending the last couple of episodes really focusing on weapons and armor, mm. we're going to continue our equipment creation discussion tonight by covering several things which simply don't fall into the armor and weapons categories. Um, or perhaps they just live under their umbrellas in <laughs> strange ways. Because yeah. we're going to be talking about gear, which is, by definition, not armor or weapons. It fall, lives in under a completely different uh, uh, umbrella. Yeah. But then we're also going to be talking about attachments, which is its own thing, but at the same time is really a part of weapons and armor, um, yeah. as as we'll come to. Mm. And this is really interesting because our conversation around gear, will it's going to be fairly short. Uh, though hopefully somewhat insightful for uh, all of our listeners. Now, a conversation around attachments will be a lot more crunchier as uh, as we discuss some of the major challenges and worries creators need to think about when they're creating their attachments. Because attachments can get weird. <laughs> Understatement? <laughs> they, they, they can. And, and, and if you're not careful, quite dangerously overpowered if they're not managed well. But, but frankly... They're pretty easy to manage well, and mm. we'll we'll talk about that. And and you know, this is all complicated by the fact that the rules as written do not provide any any concrete guidance on attachment creation. Mm. Okay, none. So we're going to do our best to provide you our own guidance on this matter tonight. Too right. 
So tonight we're going to walk through the process of gear and uh, attachment creation. And towards the end, uh, we're actually going to craft our own attachments live on the show intended to be used with our previously created weapons that um, happened back in episode 25, uh, which is going to be very exciting. <laughs> yes, we teased it there. It's been a while getting to it. And I think we may, if we have time, I think because we got it, we got it in the notes. We may, depending on time, guys, we, we did go ahead and not not dueling creation wise, but we did craft a piece of gear to kind of to kind of show you how it's done. Yeah. Um, based on these. And if we have time, we'll get to that as well. Absolutely. So, Chris, where do we start this discussion from? Same place we've been starting it from. For those following along in your storybooks at home, um, when it comes to gear creation um, for your very own games or foundry products, the Genesis Core Rulebook has the entirety of the rules we will be covering, limited as they are to just a couple <laughs> paragraphs um, on page 197. Um, now, we want to be clear here. We're talking about gear. Okay. Mm. In terms of the, this isn't clarified, and quite frankly, it's not that big of a deal, but we just want to make sure you guys know what we're talking about. Equipment are things that characters can use that encompasses weapons, armor, attachments, and gear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> gear, as, as the book kind of defines it, are those pieces of equipment that are not attachments or are they weapons nor are they armor they're everything else okay yeah. your 10 foot pole your coil of rope your <laughs> your your bottle of alcohol your 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 med kit your your painkillers or healing herbs <laughs> your your alchemist library your your thieves tools you know there's there's this is what we're talking about with gear okay yeah. and for all of that in terms of actual raw item creation, two paragraphs, page 197 <laughs> of the core rule. <laughs> now, as we continue our discussion, we're eventually getting into attachments, guys. Now, the optional um, uh, optional item attachments and hard point rules uh, that we'll be referencing are also found in the core rule book, of course, pages 206 through 209. We will be mm -hmm. referencing them. So throughout this episode, guys, we're going to be referring to those rules. So you may want to have your book handy. Mm -hmm. um, additionally, we will be uh, referencing indirectly. You won't necessarily need to have your book handy with it, with it though. Um, obviously, Shadow of the Beanstalk and Realms of Terranoth, um, especially when it comes to uh, item creation, as we often do. Mm. So. In, in fact, with those two paragraphs, people could probably memorize them. Uh, that's your homework. <laughs> probably. You didn't know you'd have homework with a podcast. I, I never do homework. <laughs> You could ask my teachers. I never did homework. Um, so that's, that's yeah, that's just how it is. That's how it is. Mm. But, dude, uh, before we get into this, we got a couple boilerplates. Yeah. We do. So the first one is that attachments are optional in big bold. You don't have to use them. Basically, the, the things so familiar to narrative dice players who uh, cut their teeth on Star Wars are 100% optional. GM determined. Um, you don't have to use them for this setting uh, or for your setting at home. Uh, unlike magic, vehicles, hacking, and other optional rule sets in the core rulebook, equipment attachments are something that doesn't really have a setting limitation. Any setting can reasonably make use of them. Uh, but they add a level, uh, another level, I guess, of complexity to the game that some GMs, and, and players may not want in their game. Uh, 
uh, they might just be quite happy to buy it off the shelf effectively. And as such, you don't have to create attachments for your supplement. If those rules aren't uh, included in your setting or your game. Yeah. The second boilerplate is the revenge of the reskin. And I know we say this basically in every episode that we've talked about this, but we're going to say it again because you must not forget it. If you can rename an existing published piece of gear or an attachment, then do it, mainly because it's been playtested already. So just keep that in mind. As long as you're changing the descriptive text, it's totally fine to use the stat block of a piece of gear. Yep. It's as simple as that. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about creating gear. Now, b- before before we go off the deep end with attachment tools, <laughs> um, because we, we actually can dig into the remaining as yet to be uncovered by us, but soon to be covered by us, rules as written part of item and equipment creation that you can perform per the book and that would be the gear yeah <laughs> um and as i said it's gear gear is the other okay it's the it's it, it's the bucket for all the things that are not used to attack a target or to protect yourself from attacks yep. they are the tools of the trade they are the rucksack fillers that let you do what you need with the right gear for the right job maybe they're exceptional Maybe they help more than others, but at their core, they should be very simple. Mm. So, Huli, let's talk about the silly, simple steps needed to craft a piece of gear. Mm. So, for step one, and these are going to be very similar um, and very familiar if you've listened to episode 25 and 26. So, our step one is to describe and name the gear. What does it look like? How is it used? Uh, what function does it provide? Is there um, something to uh, to assist someone in climbing walls or or picking locks uh, and making that easier? Can it record audio and video for for playback? Um, does it let you travel to a certain um, circumstance without penalty or at uh, a reduced penalty? And again, there's lots of gear in these books that cover nearly every eventuality so uh you know reskin and relabel wherever you can yeah Uh, it's as simple as that step two is to determine the gear's benefit if any so i want to be very clear about that here's where people often get it wrong and they try because we talked about this before man we we we, people tend to get too clever too cute for their own good (laughs) Um, when they should just really be trying to keep it simple um a lot of gear doesn't do anything special it just does what it does just write a description for the item that's it like like the book the book even says it like look a bottle of alcohol just needs a description explaining that it's it's quality or lack thereof and (laughs) that it'll get you drunk like (laughs) like 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 the point is that so much gear should simply be role-playing prompts no Mm. rules are necessary you can find a bottle of alcohol in the rules it doesn't have rules for getting drunk and they need to make a resilience (laughs) check off this difficult no it's just just it's okay you can make it narrative really it's okay really really it's okay and the Mm. biggest problem i've seen in in foundry supplements especially Mm. um uh from from some more novice authors as they're still learning um as well as people that have have presented me with stuff is they'll they'll take something like a bottle of liquor and they'll stat it out and they're like well these are the rules for getting drunk i'm like why 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 are you why are you putting that in there i (laughs) i don't i don't understand (laughs) <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, it's like, 
you know, do, do you even need this in here? Why? I mean, I, I mean, fill, you need some filler. Cool. Let's get it. But do you even need it? You know, just what I'm trying to say is <laughs> don't forget the narrative nature of this game. Yep. Okay. And don't complicate things with unnecessary mechanics when they're really not warranted, especially if the benefit or penalty or whatever this thing does is going to be done in a primarily narrative sense or in an extremely versatile sense. Okay. Mm. I might have a player like to, I hate to go back to the example again, but to, you know, like, say, okay, a bottle of hard liquor. Okay. Mm. Well, I can have a player have that on them and buy it and be like, you know what? I'm going to make a Molotov cocktail. Okay. <laughs> and then we can have an entire conversation about improvised weapons and we can do all that, but it doesn't need to be in the stat block for the bottle the liquor no. because it's you know I, I yeah yeah so mm. now having said all of that uh most gear is a bit more specifically useful than that yeah um but even then your default stance and goal should be that it provides the right tool for the job uh this is detailed on page 93 of the core rulebook and basically it means that without this piece of gear the job simply can't be performed or can only be uh, attempted with setback dice. Um, so if you want to use perception to so spot a foe, like let's say, you know, two, three clicks away, um, you'll be suffering some setback dice unless you've got a pair of binoculars. So if you want to use skullduggery to pick a lock, you'll be facing setback dice unless you have a set of lockpicks or thieves tools if your GM even lets you attempt it without them. Um, you know, if you want to climb a brick wall five stories up, it's definitely going to be some setback die on that athletics check uh, unless you've got some rope and a grappling hook or spider climbing stuff. But um, <laughs> that's a superheroes thing. Anyway... <laughs> I'm addicted. Um, and yes, there will be times when you've got exceptional gear that actually helps a character do a particular skill set um, or use a particular skill set that they have better than they otherwise would have. Um, not just reducing difficulty, but gaining a boost die perhaps. But all of that is going to be up to the GM and um, the items in question. That, that's the thing, Lily. And that actually leads us, Gamer Nation, to our first rule of thumb for this episode. Rule of thumb number one. When it comes to gear creation, default to the right tool for the job. We are, again, reiterating what is right there in the text. If you feel this item assists with a particular skill, your default assumption during creation should be that it works as, quote unquote, the right tool for the job. Mm. You don't even need to call out what that means in the description because that phrase, the right tool for the job and its understanding is a literal core part of the rules that is mm. on page 93 of the core rule book. It actually mm -hmm. says what, so, so that's all you need to say. You don't need to go mucking with it and getting cute if you don't need to. Mm. Um, you know, what is the right tool for the right job mean? Well, that's covered on page 93. Usually it means that you can attempt something you otherwise wouldn't. Sometimes it means you can attempt it without setback dice. Sometimes it means the GM might give you a boost die under certain circumstances. But the point is, that's all covered under the one rule of right tool for the job. Mm. Okay, so that should be your default for the vast majority <laughs> of equipment you create. Mm. Okay, yeah. so for example, Huli, mm. um, in my in my dusters and dragons setting, right, I've introduced uh, um a thing called bluestone. Right. All right. 
mm-hmm. which is a, a setting specific substance that can be used to craft alchemical and magical items, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it has it has poisonous properties to creatures with fey blood. Mm. And and I'm I'm introducing a, a new piece of equipment called bluestone crafting tools. Right. Okay. They serve as the right tool for the job when you're working with bluestone. Mm. That's it. Mm. That's all I say. That's all I need to say. Does it <laughs> does it reduce setback? Does it give me a boost? Maybe. Well, that's up to the GM. It's up to the circumstances. Up to the check. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The point is, all I need to say is it's the right tool for the job mm. when you're making X, Y, and Z checks with bluestone. Mm. And if you don't have it, there are rules in there that say if you're trying to do something and you don't have the right tools for the job, it's going to be setback territory. You know, but that's all on page 93. You don't need to put it in the gear description. That's right. Exactly. So we've also got another rule of thumb as well. So if the gear is better than just the right tool, it's better to reduce the penalties than add bonuses. Mm-hmm. So, you know, extra benefits should default to re- reducing penalties before they add bonuses. So it's remove a setback or, uh, you know, provide an advantage or something like that. Yeah. If, 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 you, if you don't feel that the right tool for the job is good enough, yeah. okay, yeah. then, then your, your, next, your next level up, your next level up should be it reduces setback. It, redu- it reduces penalties. Okay. That yeah. should be the next level up. Yep. yep. That's rule that's rule of thumb number 2. Now rule of thumb number 3, <laughs> if you don't feel that that's good enough for what you want it to do mm. and you do add true bonuses via gear mm. specifically. Keep it simple. Keep it small. Yeah. Ideally a single boost die. Mm. Okay. Is there gear in the books that does better than that? Yes, there is. Are they exceptions to the rule? Absolutely, 100% exceptions to the rule. They should not be what you should be going toward. The big, the big thing here, and you'll find this, it's an, it's an unwritten rule and one of the pieces of advice we can give you for gear creation. It's kind of an unwritten rule that Hooli knows, that mm. Phil knows, that, that Sam knows, okay? <laughs> okay, those who have written for the system, that you should never let a piece of gear overshadow armor and weapon characteristics mm-hmm. or hard-earned character talents and skill ranks yep. all right mm-hmm. um if you can buy your way into bonuses bigger than a boost die on a piece of gear mm. it's pro- not 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 always but it's probably overpowered yeah mm. At, at the very least, that's one of those things that would be like, okay, must play test super heavy hard, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Quick draw holster, for example. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that basically removes uh, a talent yeah. which is greater than tier one. Yeah. Now, now there's there's interesting things you can do here, like um, uh, you you can you can add interesting limitations to this. If you mm. and, and we you know this is calling a bit an audible audible holder because this isn't in the notes, but if yeah. you if you do want to add a boot a bonus on a piece of gear that's higher than that, mm. like something that replicates a talent, for example, yeah. first and foremost, if you make the cost and rarity as they should be insane, okay, yeah. that's a, mm. that's a huge balancing factor. Yeah. The other thing too, you'll often find with gear is you can keep it very situational or very circumstantial. Okay. So for example, things that are story point driven, Mm. things that are once a session, okay, Mm. Mm. a phenomenal limiting factor. Another big one, and we'll also get to this with attachments too, is you can uh, offer wonderful limitations by limiting certain things to very specific 
things. Like, for example, if you told me you had a you had a quick draw holster that could give you the that could replicate the quick draw talent, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. but it could only be used on a pistol of encumbrance zero. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Like a pistol of encumbrance zero. Yeah. It's called, it's called, a, it's called a Derringer. Okay. Yep. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a single shot pistol. It probably does damage of four. Mm. Okay. Yep. Th- that, that's something that is reasonably not going to be overpowered by something at, at like, like a quick draw talent given to you through an item. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would even go so far as to say, as we'll get to in a moment, that I wouldn't even put that on a piece of gear. That's getting into attachment territory. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, but yeah, as as an example. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so Huli, that that's step two, which is to determine the gear's benefit. We talked step yeah. one, describe and name the gear. Step two, determine the gear's benefit. What's step three? So step three is encumbrance. So encumbrance, um, it's not specifically called out from a methodology standpoint in the rules. And that's hard to do in two paragraphs. Um, but you really need to eyeball it by comparing it to other equipment in the game um, and your setting. Um, you know, what to assign it at? Think about gathering up that piece of gear in your hands. And we talked about this in the last episode. Uh, think about, uh, you know, gathering it up in your hands and carrying it. How big and bulky would you expect it to be? Would it have the same heft and, and bulk uh, as a large pistol or perhaps a heavy mace? Um, you know, that might be encumbrance too. Would it have the same heft and bulk as a heavy rifle or a great axe? That's going to be encumbrance four. Most gear will have an encumbrance of one or two. Um, and uh, an, uh, an encumbrance of zero even um, is possible. For very small items that, you know, you can carry in your pocket or, or something like that. Uh, heavy clothing or gear is designed to cover your entire body uh, without being armor. It's going to be likely to be three or four. Uh, then again, you, uh, you've got to be realistic about the size. Some gear you simply couldn't carry in your hands. Uh, and encumbrance really should reflect that. Uh, an alchemist's lab, for example, or, or a small scholar's library will probably be an encumbrance of seven or eight or higher. Yeah. That's, you're not going to be carrying around your library in your backpack unless you've got like a, a, a portable hole or something like that. But, <laughs> but otherwise, that's not going to be getting carried around. It's as simple as that. So encumbrance is really, I mean, it's not a massive thing when talking about gear. Um, but it is something that you really need to, to take into consideration. And unfortunately, there isn't a lot of help in that regard. Yeah. And there's not much help either for, for cost and rarity. Um, mm-hmm. You really just have to eyeball it and use example, which is our step four, our, yep. our, our final step, cost mm-hmm. and rarity. Yep. Um, you know, you're going to add the created items cost and rarity. And, and again, due to that lack of precise steps, it really is guesswork. Um mm-hmm. When it comes to cost, it's really best to compare it to setting similar items and gear that are already published. Mm. Um, that, that's your best look for fantasy. If you're doing something in the fantasy realm, guys, core rulebook, page 146. All right. Or, or check out Realms of Tyranoth, page 101. Look at the gear tables. All right. Mm-hmm. You, you can also look at other sources as there are a plethora of, of, of non-Genesis resources. Just make sure to do your homework here and compare the costs of already published items to the same item in the other resources to establish if there's a, a conversion you need to make. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
for, for, for sci-fi or space opera, uh, check out page 177 and page 187 of the core rulebook where they've got uh, gear tables for both those t- setting types. Mm-hmm. Um, or you've got a plethora of options on page 101, of course, of Shadow of the Beanstalk. Mm. You also have Star Wars and the soon-to-be-released um, <laughs> Embers of the Imperium. Yeah. Again, just, just do the homework as we mentioned, right? Take yeah. five minutes, scan the tables, eyeball it. Mm. Um, if, if you're looking at modern, modern's easy. Uh, mm. Take a look at page 94 and page 169 of the core rulebook. Um, you can also use real-world examples for cost, mm. um, you know, as, as appropriate. But again, you just want to be uh, there as appropriate for your setting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So – the thing is, though, even when you're doing all this homework and looking at all, at all that, guys, and we're telling you to eyeball, there are a few common threads we do want to point out when it comes to cost and rarity. Mm. Most gear, most, the vast majority of gear is intended to be commonly available. Okay. Mm. What does that mean? It means rarities of five or less. Yeah. Okay. It means costs that are quite reasonable, not unobtainable. Okay. Now, Anything with a strong benefit, like far more than just being the right tool for the job, is typically going to have a much higher cost and rarity. All right. Mm. With with magical items, um, <laughs> a backpack of holding, I'm looking at you, um, or, or, or insanely high tech items, like a handful of things in Shadow of the Beanstalk, those things are going to crest a rarity of seven to nine. Okay. And costing hundreds, if not thousands in in currency. Okay. Um, I mean like there's, there's one piece of gear in shadow of the beanstalk that costs like 10 grand. Okay. And it's cause it's, it's so ridiculous and it's, it's just as rare. Like it's because it is. Mm. So yeah, guys, I mean, that's, that's gear creation. Mm. And we've written more than the book has. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So yeah, there isn't a lot of guidance, but hopefully that will help you when you are creating, uh, those, uh, those pieces of gear. Uh, so, Chris, what do you reckon that we uh, have? We got time to um, give our own little example. What do you reckon? Yeah, dude, we're we're right on track. I think, and cool. and you know, before we get into attachments and we leave gear behind, yeah, yep. let's let's have some fun and use these narrative rules to craft a unique piece of gear mm. on the show. And we've we've we we literally we're obviously not doing it on the show. It's in the show notes, guys. We 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 did do it ahead of time, but. <laughs> To be fair, it was done, what, Huli, an hour ago? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> so uh, if anybody wants to call us on it to say, well, you didn't do it live, it's like, well, it's near enough to. What are near the, good- <laughs> the goodies used to have almost live? Uh, <laughs> they did a... Um, uh, a concert at one stage, and um, uh, it was uh, the goodies almost live uh, because everybody who wasn't watching the concert there and then would have to be watching it non-live. But anyway, that's right. a side note. I digress. <laughs> I'm just showing my age now with the goodies. Do you actually know what the goodies is, Chris? No. <gasps> For those who do know what the goodies are, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so, uh, yeah. It's it's January. Love it. It's great. It's hilarious. I scream it to I scream it to my wife on on our special nights. You know, I I want the goodies. Right. Moving on. Um, <laughs> this is a family give me, show. Give me the goodies. <laughs> oh dear. All right. So we are going to design. Okay. Before we get to this, can I tell an off color story? Sure. I'll keep it, keep it clean. 
relate to the, so, so, okay. I was joking about the goodies, but I, I, I kid you not. When my wife and I were first living together, we lived on the third floor walk up of an apartment complex. Okay. <laughs> and there were four apartments on that floor and mm. they, they all had this sort of interconnected hall. Okay. Mm. One of the apartments was never rented. Okay. Mm. The other two apartments were, were literally rented by our best friends. My group, the guys who actually were my groomsmen at my wedding. Okay. Right, right. And, and my gaming group. Okay. So it was, <laughs> it was me, my future wife and <clears throat> five other guys. Um, uh, or well, four other guys. Uh, that, that like, and we just, we didn't even lock our doors. Okay. We didn't <laughs> because we were, it was, it was third floor walk up. Nobody's coming up there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We would just walk into each other's houses and go into each other's fridges, get stuff, do whatever. <laughs> like, Hey, come play, play this, uh, whatever. Right. Anyway, the point is we're really drunk one night and we're playing Yahtzee. <laughs> you familiar with the game Yahtzee? I am indeed. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, uh, we were rolling Yahtzees like mad. And at one point, I rolled like three Yahtzees in a game mm. and very inebriated, screamed out. You know, and it became a running joke, as it often is when you're inebriated. <laughs> Yahtzee, biatch! <laughs> and it became such a kick. And one of my friends said, turned to, turned to my future wife and said, do you realize the next time y'all y'all do your thing, he's gonna say that? <laughs> oh my god! And she and she said she said, well, if he does, I'm gonna kick you, <laughs> me, him, for for putting the idea in my head, right? And the very next morning, oh no, his door slams open as she's crossed over to his apartment in a bathrobe, slams the door open while he's in bed asleep. She kicks him. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> well, okay. Well, well, speaking of speaking of Yahtzee Biatch and um and game over, which is which is really what that story in, t- turned it up uh, ended up being really was was, was game over for that morning. Uh, uh, game over for the sake of a joke. It was well worth it for time, but my wife didn't think so. But I, you know, I, I want to talk about I want to talk about our piece of gear, which mm. is which is game over, man. Game, game over. over. <laughs> um. So, Julie, <laughs> so I love the. the- out of that, everybody loves that line. I love the next line that, uh, whatchamacallit, um, uh, the guy who was in, uh, I can't remember that, that sitcom series that he was, he was the one who basically sold out Paul, everybody. Paul Reiser, mad about yeah, you. That's yeah. it. Mad about you. That's it. Uh, where he goes, you know, maybe we could build a fire, um, sing Clone <laughs> by R or something. <laughs> Campfire, roast some marshmallows, sing some songs. How about that? Yeah. Um, uh, so, yes. so yeah, we, we would say we're, we're guys, we're of course talking about, um, uh, James Cameron's incredible film aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually rewatched recently and Hulu, you hit me up with this idea because that film is filled with incredible pieces of armor and really cool weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, but also some very iconic gear. Yeah. Um, and, and, and one of the pieces of gear that was really used to ratchet up that tension and make for some really great scenes is the, and I'm getting this direct from the aliens wiki, by the way, <laughs> the, the M three, one, four motion tracker. Wow. Right. Nerd. Uh, <laughs> which, <clears throat> which <clears throat> was used by the colonial Marines to detect movement at distance, regardless of cover, though in a rough and limited fashion. And and the wiki goes on to like it like how like in the whole setting it was developed for like survival services, like <laughs> like for people to like discover like 
you know, people in rubble or during natural yeah. disasters or whatever. Yeah. It, like, like it got adopted by, you know, fire teams for, you know, the colonial military. Uh, <laughs> wow. So, like, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's really cool. And the thing is, guys, as we're going to build this out and we built this out, there is eagle eyed listeners will probably be screaming at us right now. There is <laughs> a portable motion sensor. Um, in the space opera setting in the core rulebook, page 186. Yeah. Um, but based on what it does in terms of effect, we're going for something a bit different. So we decided to make a new piece of gear. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So step one, describe and name the gear. It's the M314 or 314. I don't know why I said 314. That's where oh, you can you could do it either way. I'm sure that the Marines, um, you know, shorten everything. Anyway, nice save. Um, <laughs> so it, <laughs> it is a high-powered ultrasonic scanner that uses Doppler shift discrimination to filter out moving objects from stationary background and then display them on the M314's monitor as a series of contours of probable loci. That sounds very technical. <laughs> direct, direct from the wiki, baby. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's that's what it is. And like, 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 and this is the other thing too. Like, what differentiates this <clears throat> from the portable motion sensor that's in the space opera setting in the core mm-hmm. rulebook, man? Mm-hmm. Is if we're going to make this do what we see it do in Aliens, we need to replicate its ability to ignore cover and concealment. Mm. To Operate at a range of a thousand meters, which mm-hmm. is what's confirmed in the film, but also in the wiki and the games, by the way. Yeah. Um, and a th- thousand meter, a thousand meters. Mm, like, that's a kilometer. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's, that's a kilometer. That, that's extreme range, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but the thing is, it needs to be able to bring back only limited data mm-hmm. as it only measures movement and it just points to where the movement is. Mm-hmm. Right. So, <clears throat> that led us to step two, determine the gear's benefit. And, and here's what I got. Mm-hmm. The motion tracker allows its user to remove any setback die on perception checks due to concealment, cover, and range up to extreme range. Mm-hmm. However, perception checks made with the motion tracker only provide probable locations of motion without any further detail such as physical or identifying characteristics. <laughs> That's very good. That's so yeah. simple. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because it gives you nothing other than, well, it, <laughs> it, they're in the room. You're not reading it right. <laughs> yeah. I am reading it right, but you're not reading it right. Um but I mean, yeah, that's it. So you you want to provide that mechanical benefit, which is easy. It ignores setback. I mean, like, dude, 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 thousand thousand meters, extreme extreme range, no setback dice, cover, mm. concealment. Uh, you know, just just go. But you throw in that narrative element. I don't need to get more detailed than that. No, not at all. Not you just all. keep it. You just keep it narrative. Mm. There you go. Very good. What are we? What are we looking at for encumbrance and cost and rarity on this, man? Well, look for for the encumbrance. Uh, it is a single hand item. You you uh, what sling it over your shoulder, basically. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it, it is kind of chunky. So it's about the same heft as a heavy pistol or something like that. So you know, we I think we should be going with an encumbrance of two. Agreed. Hmm. So for cost and rarity, we're going to have to eyeball this one. Um, but uh, looking at similar items, like the portable motion sensor in the core rulebook, 
Um, I think we're going to settle on a price of around about 150. Um, you know, for for the setting, it's not too cheap or too common. Um, and considering uh, what it was originally created for, which is the rescue services, um, it's not a military grade piece of of technology at its core. Um, but it is specialised, so 150 seems right to me. Um, and you know, applying that same sort of logic, I reckon a rarity of four. Agreed. Agreed. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably just knowing how the real world works. It uh, was probably originally um, uh, done for um, or created for the military, and then the uh, the fireys have then <laughs> gotten on to that idea uh, once it's uh, it's been produced. So, but um, and I think one hundred and fifty is is what it would be readily available after it's. Um, um, after it's been in, in service for a while because they'll yeah. be mass-producing it and stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, good piece of gear, I reckon. Oh, I reckon. Hmm. So let's get into the big one. So <laughs> it's called Attachments. Make yourself feel comfortable. Go and do a pee break now. Or if you're listening, you can probably do a pee break while you're listening to the podcast. That's a bit weird. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so let's get into the nitty gritty um, for this episode, which is going to be attachments. As we uh, discussed, attachments are an optional rule set found in the core rulebook. Now, this is a tried, true, and well-tested system brought over from Star Wars. Having said that, yes, it's optional, but it's worth noting that the attachments and hard point system was brought into both Realms of Terranoth and Shadow of the Beanstalk. So, just saying. <laughs> so, saying, I'm just... Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, now, for those people who uh, have uh, been used to the attachments in Star Wars, they made some interesting changes. We'll talk about that as we go. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, so... Understanding attachments and hard points. So we've basically got to start. We've got to start there before we talk about uh, crafting and creation. We need to go through a little bit of a primer on just a couple of things detailed in these optional rules, and you can find those on page two hundred and six to two hundred and nine of the core rulebook. So, Chris, what are attachments? They're basically customizations to pieces of equipment, um, mm. which can be installed after item creation or even, I guess, technically as a part of the item creation. Mm. Um, they're special subsystems or materials or other accoutrements mm-hmm. that can be installed onto an item to give it special abilities or modifiers, a wink, mm. wink, nudge, nudge, <laughs> beyond the base benefit. Mm. And the first thing before we talk about attachments you got to understand is hard points. Yeah. If you're implementing the attachment rules, you are also implementing hard point rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, 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 you cannot have one without the other. You can't do it. You can try, but you will not be successful. Um, <clears throat> hard points are basically the space on the piece of equipment for modification options the number of modifications attachments that it can accept some equipment is so small 
it, it can't account for much. And and some attachments are so big, <laughs> they require a few hard points to install. Um, it, it's really about what makes sense. Um, the, the, you know, the, the book says it best. It actually says, um, a, a, a rifle can't have ten scopes. And if you try to give a sword a spiked hilt, sawtoothed edges, an electrified blade, and a compass in the pommel, you're probably going to end up with an unwieldy monstrosity. <laughs> Um, so well said. <laughs> yeah, and that's what hard points accomplish. It's it's sort of the slots, for lack yeah. of a better term, for, for yeah. upgrade. You know, your, your smaller items are going to have like one hard point. That's it. You can do one cool thing with it. That's it. Your yeah. bigger items, they're going to have a couple, you know, two, three, four hard points, maybe, yeah. you know, depending on how big the item is. Yeah. How do you know, Huli, how many hard points to give an item? We've talked about weapon creation. We've talked mm-hmm. about armor creation. We didn't talk about this because it was an optional rule. How do we yeah. know what hard points to assign to an item we've created. Yeah. Well, look, it's a very technical process that um, you you have to go deep into the mechanics of how the item was. No, it's not. Um, each item has a number of hard points equal to one half of its encumbrance value rounded up. It's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> And you also have to be a little bit realistic with this. Uh, but uh, So a weapon with an encumbrance of one or two will have one hard point. Uh, a suit of armor with uh, an encumbrance of three or four will have two hard points and, and so on. You know, as we'll see, each attachment takes up a number of hard points, which certainly makes sense. Now, Huli, in, yeah. our, la- in our last episode, you wanted to give a helmet you made an encumbrance of a five. <laughs> Do you understand now one of the unspoken reasons why I did not want you to give that a helmet an encumbrance of a five? Yes, I do. Very good, because you don't want to give a helmet a three or, you know, for that. Yeah, you you don't want to give it a helmet a three hard points. That's it's a helmet. So. Thanks, Maria. I'm going to get I'm going to get hate mail from our Italian listeners. <laughs> Pretty much. Actually, I know I know way too many Italians. And I'm not talking about Italian Americans. I know way too many Italians. Yeah. They probably wouldn't get crap. <laughs> Giuseppe, I know you're listening right now and I know you're like laughing on the floor right now. Uh, I used to I used to work with this guy. Uh, I used to work with this guy and and he and I when I would go to Europe for one of my old companies, he yeah. we would actually rpg together oh right. um yeah yeah uh but before i discovered he was an rpg nerd and we got into this we were on a conference call together once and the guy's name and, and forgive me for calling you out on the episode giuseppe i know you don't care uh his, <laughs> his name is his name is giuseppe guida okay all right he's from napoli where right. he lives right okay and and we were on a conference call with a bunch of random people and he made some comment about about naples and and he says, well, in Napoli, and, and he had just met me, right? <laughs> like, right. like we've only been on one or two conference calls together. We'd never physically met. And he, he interrupted himself being courteous as if he was like afraid to leave me out of the conversation. He said, Chris, I don't know if you know this, but I am Italian. <laughs> <laughs> and he was dead serious. And I'm on, on, on the call. I, I, I look at him and we're on camera. And I look at him. I'm like, really, Giuseppe? You are Italian? No. And I did the thing with the hands, you know. And he goes, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. And that led to a beautiful role-playing friendship. So, guys, you can find it everywhere. <laughs> Good save. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we've um, 
Oh, where were we up to? Uh, that's right. Attachment features. Yeah. <laughs> so attachment examples for weapons and armor can be found in all of their glory uh, in the core rulebook from pages 207 to 209. And there are a lot of them. It doesn't, because they don't look like equipment stats, it's easy to sort of just go, oh, that's a wall of text. But if you actually look at it, it is, there is a lot there, <laughs> which is great. Um, so, uh, yeah, go and check that out. Um, Realms of Terranoth on pages 106 to 108, and then Shadow of the Beanstalk, page 109 to 112. Um, now, in each of those, um, each attachment lists um, a number of things, namely the description, uh, what it uh, used with, uh, modifiers, hard points required, and price and rarity. So, for description, what the attachment is and what setting it will make sense in, you don't need to include that uh, last bit, obviously, uh, if you're writing the attachment for a specific setting product. Um, where it will be included. The use with, uh, this one is really important. Uh, <laughs> you need to, like, <laughs> if, if if this wasn't here, you'd be slapping, um, like, uh, what sort of a, I don't know, give me an example, um, a monofilament on a LAS rifle. That wouldn't make, make a lot of sense. So um, you'll need to call out what kind of items you can put this attachment on. It's not just weapons or armor, but call out specific skilled weaponry, like ranged light weapons or melee heavy weapons, um, or plate armor if you're talking about armor. Um, or, you know, even weaponry types in a, uh, a specific or detailed sense, like sword or bladed weapon or powered item, for example. But we'll talk yep. about that later on. Uh, you've then got modifiers, uh, which you'll need to list what the effect of the attachment is. It's pointless having, if you haven't got this, it's pointless having the piece of gear in the first place. Uh, yes, it's likely to provide a benefit, but it may also provide a drawback. And we'll get into this more deeply in uh, in a little bit too. Probably before you get off this, yes. this is one of the big shifts between Star Wars and Genesis. Yes, absolutely. Because beforehand, you would have your base modifier, and that would normally be in the, in the, the main text. Um, but then you would have different levels of modification. So when you modify a piece of gear, it would be a difficulty of three, for example. Um, so that would be a hard check. And then for every single time that you try to do another modification, and you could do it in any order, uh, that it would be increase the difficulty by one, which was great, I guess, but they've removed that completely from Genesis. And to be honest with you, I think that that was a good move because it overcomplicated something which didn't need to be overcomplicated. Yeah, it's so. like it's like look, you you've got you've got an elegant mechanic here. If you want to be able to enhance an attachment, just make additional attachments. Like yeah, yeah, I mean, or better attachments. You can remove an attachment. You can put a different one on. Like yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's yeah, I I like it. I like it much better. So. Mm. So, okay, description, use with, modifiers, and you said what else? Uh, uh, hard points required was Yeah, next? hard points required. Now, this is is how many hard points you'll need empty on the item to install the item in the first place. Again, we'll get more deeply into this in, in a little bit. 
Uh, our last point is price and rarity. So, yeah, it's going to be an eyeball, basically, as we've sort of talked about gear already, um, or maybe a comparison thing to things which already exist. But we'll get back to that as well. Okay. Before we go further, guys, a note on attachments and gear. Mm. We just talked about gear. As the book kind of alludes to, um, I'm just going to say it, attachments are not really intended for gear. Mm. They're intended for armor and weapons. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and that's how you see them laid out in the books. Yep. And that's how we're going to treat them. Does gear, which again, we just discussed, have encumbrance and thus hard points? Uh, I guess. Mm. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Should you craft attachments for gear? <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> um, simply put, it, it, it's another layer of complexity. This system, Huli, of attachments and hard points is another layer of complexity already. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And and the thing is, the, the modifiers for attachments, as we'll come to, are clearly and simply intended to work with the heavily codified attributes and features of armor and weapons yep. armor and weapons those attributes and features and what they do is heavily codified we did two episodes on it guys <laughs> okay mm. as i hope we've made clear from this episode we're doing now yep. gear is much less so it is just too muddy non-codified highly narrative features and as such, it's a really poor idea to include attachments for gear. Mm. Because when you start mucking with the rules in a beautiful way, like attachments let you do, you need to be working off a stable foundation for that construction. And mm. gear just doesn't give it to you. And it shouldn't give it to you. <laughs> so just, d just, just don't. Okay? <laughs> okay? I think we understand each other. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we talk about attachment creation... Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to go through each and every attachment in these books. As we've said before, you've all mostly passed English, so you can read. Um, I'm yet to see an audiobook um, of uh, the Genesis Core rulebook. That'll be interesting. Um, but there, <laughs> you can all read, so we're not going to go through each item. What we are going to do, though, is reference some of them at appropriate points during this discussion. Sound fair, Chris? <laughs> Sounds fair. Awesome. Now, Holy, before we get into crafting attachments, we've yes. talked about how hard points work. We've talked about the attributes of an attachment, and you made reference to how it used to be done in Star Wars. Mm. In Genesis, how do you actually install these things? So, installing attachments, uh, just so that you're all aware, is uh, if you implement attachments or, or create your own, they still have to be installed on a piece of armor or a weapon, and that takes time and effort. So, it will take a craftsman roughly an hour and uh, successful, um, I think it's an average two-purple dice mechanics check, to it install is. one attachment. Uh, if you fail, you try again. Failure with despair, though, unlikely with an upgraded difficulty. Um, sorry, without an upgraded difficulty, uh, the clumsy installer actually destroys the attachment in the process. Good job. <laughs> or should I say, oops. oops. <laughs> uh, so success with despair means it's installed, 
but will stop working or fall off at a really bad time, requiring the reinstallation at a later stage. <laughs> See, for so, for some of the um, uh, some of the armor attachments specifically, mm. that could be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, there's one like frightening visage, you know, that like gives you like uh, a success on your you know your coercion checks, you know, mm. but an automatic failure on your charm checks, right? Yep. yep. So you imagine you come up with this armor that's got this like demonic head on the chest plate and these evil, and you're doing this. You're castigating your foe, and the thing just falls off, and they can see your nipples. Yes, yes, and I think we've all seen the um, uh, the bloopers reel with Thor when he basically sort of throws around Molnir, and the head of it falls off. Uh, he's just got the uh, just the the handle. If you were crafting your own uh, super weapon, sure, maybe that might happen. Um, one of the things that, just talking about this very briefly, one of the things that I have done when people have been uh, putting these attachments on in the past with the spares is that I've put inherent problems with it. So if, uh, you know, you've installed a computer or whatever else, maybe you've, uh, the what you purchased um, to install the AI or, or whatever it is, is actually a little bit more sentient. Uh, so suddenly you've got like a real, uh, it's like a personality to this thing. Um, I think another one that I've done is that I've given something like a permanent setback to uh, to some items. They work perfectly fine, but there's, and they can be obviously repaired over time, but uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, no, but. Um, with despair, you, you don't have to just basically say that it falls off because there'd be nothing worse, I think, than, uh, you know, pointing your pistol at, uh, at the BBEG and saying, freeze, and then suddenly the, uh, the weapon just falls apart. <laughs> and your nipples are showing. <laughs> and your nipples are showing, exactly. <laughs> Should that be written into the rules somewhere, Chris, do you reckon? Only in my games will be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, we've basically got into the what we are going to be doing, what we're not going to be doing, and the, the bit of a rundown as to what attachments are. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of it, Chris, so to speak. <laughs> Crafting attachments. Oh, boy. Okay, as we've said, guys, there are no listed rules for attachment creation in the core rules, but you want to create attachments. I want to create attachments. So what do we do? We analyze the rules very closely. We follow the basics of all equipment crafting elsewhere in this system. Mm -hmm. And as we go, we're going to be hitting you guys up with some advice like we do and some, dare I say, hard-learned lessons from our own creation and play endeavors. Hmm. So here we go. <laughs> Step one, brother. Step one is describe and name the attachment. You would have heard us say that before. Ideally, you've already got a setting in mind you're crafting this for. But if it's a general attachment, what settings are you thinking they are best used in? Generally speaking, what does it do? Does it make a weapon more deadly with a sharper edge or an easier crit? Does it make armor tougher or more daunting for an attacker? Or does it simply work to remove a situational negative modifier the armor or weapon normally has? 
under normal circumstances. Um, you know, what do you want this to be? So describe it and what it can apply to. And uh, the answer to, to these questions will determine most of, of what's going to be happening as you step through this process. Mm-hmm. Beginning with step two, use with. The mm. use with. Again, from step one, you should already know the answer to this question. Mm. Y- you need to select one or more skill-based weapons or weapon types, you know, pistols, swords, etc., or, you know, range light weapons, you know, or, or melee heavy, or a specific type of armor. Okay, leather, chain, plate, uh, you know, ballistic, vest, <laughs> laminates, okay, whatever it is. Yep. Yes, yes, guys, yes, some attachments can and may apply to very broad groups. Like, you can say, like, all armor, mm. okay? Um, there's, I mean, there's, there's some in there like that. Oh, yeah, yep, all armor, yep. Okay, all armor. There's there's even one or two that apply in the book to all we- all weaponry as well. Yep. But that should really be the exception, not the rule. Okay, uh, I mean, if it fits, it fits. But really, when you're thinking about an attachment, it should really have a type of weapon or armor that it really does apply to. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is where you, this is where you're going to call that out. Mm-hmm. Then we come to the big daddy, and we got a lot to say here for step <laughs> three. Lee. We do the modifiers. modifiers, yeah. Now, we come to really what matters in this system. Largely speaking, modifiers can be broken into five broad categories for both weapons and armor. So the first is that they improve an existing feature or quality, usually by adding a hindering quality. So they can be improving a crit rating, they can improve uh, the maximum range of a weapon. Uh, they can improve the damage, usually with an increase to its cumbersome value, um, and uh, an improved defense or soak. Mm-hmm. What else, Chris? Well, I think before we leave that, it's worth calling out. Like, you know, there's lots of examples of this in the books, but like, usually, maybe 50 50% of the time, yeah, there's always some hindering quality that comes with it, you mm. know? Mm. Uh, you know, something like, you know, guess what? You, uh, they, like, they, they actually, they actually have a much simpler example than this in the book. Uh, they actually have the specific, the specific example. I'm actually trying to, to, to pull it up right now in the Genesis core book. Oh, uh, with extended barrel. Yep. Which its modifiers, it increases the weapons range by one range band to a maximum of, of extreme. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it also gives the weapon the cumbersome two quality. Or if it, or it increases it by two if it already has the cumbersome quality, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've just put a honking barrel on the gun. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I I love that. Um, in in Star Wars, there was one that increased damage for pistols. Okay, mm-hmm. but and it was it was it was an intensive damage increase, but it also decreased the range of the pistol by a range band. <laughs> mm. right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we're not saying you have to do this when you're when you're improving an existing feature or quality, but it's really not a bad idea, especially mm. if you want to rein in your cost and rarity. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so you had improve an existing feature or quality. Um, mm-hmm. Next is adding an entirely new beneficial quality, mm. um, and we see this in multiple examples in in the core rule book, in Terranoth, and in Shadow of the Beanstalk. Um, adding accurate. To a, like for a weapon, adding accurate, very mm-hmm. common. Mm-hmm. Um, or pierce, mm-hmm. uh, vicious, mm-hmm. or superior, okay, mm-hmm. which could also be added to armor as well. But, you know, adding just straight up to the guess. Yeah, it's got that quality. Here you go. Boom. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. 
um, adding reinforced to an armor. Uh, we talked re- we talked about reinforced quite a bit, <laughs> you know, as a as a as a special benefit. You know, la- last time we we spoke, you mm. know, maybe you can't find or get reinforced armor, or it's not made. But you know what? It now can be a, an attachment you can apply. You know, it'll cost you a hard point. Yeah, mm. especially true with armor. Um, things that ignore environmental effects, mm. uh, usually one or two, usually for a limited time. Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. you know things like you know, yeah, you can add a you know, yeah, you've got this awesome. Uh, laminate armor for your your sci-fi setting and you know for two hard points you could you know put a vac put a vac suit module on it right mm. so you know you can ignore the effects of a vacuum for an hour yeah. right mm-hmm. another one i love that's very common and goes all the way back to star wars is the ability to add a boost die to certain social skill checks you know where it's like it literally like like the armor's pretty <laughs> <laughs> I think that was in the Smuggler's book. I think it was that. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's got a pretty paid job that it gives you a bonus to uh, um, uh, to negotiation checks or, or charm checks or something like that. And I know yeah. that uh, in the Star Wars game that I'm playing in, that um, uh, one of the ships has that attachment, and uh, they're um, <laughs> the, the smuggler is always going. Look, can we have this negotiation just outside my ship? It'll be fine. <laughs> he tries so hard to arrange all of these meetings at the front of his ship just so that he can get that extra boost on to negotiation. Uh, it's hilarious. But, <laughs> but anyway, so what? Uh, so, yeah. Well, okay, so, so for like, okay, in, in, for, okay, in Realms of Terranoth, okay, mm-hmm. um, they have an attachment, armor attachment called Gilded. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. Literally, it says it serves no practical purpose. It's just you adorn your armor with, with gold leaf. Yep. Right. Um, uh, you know, and, and it can be used with any armor you want. Like, mm-hmm. like it's used with anything mm-hmm. and you just add a boost die to any charm negotiation or leadership check you make zero hard, zero hard points. Mm. Like mm. No, none, none, no, no hard points whatsoever. It takes, you know, you just, you just get this thing, you know, but oh yeah, it's 1500 in cost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you're starting to go into the realm of talents. Um yeah. and things like that, so you it has to have an appropriate cost. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, uh, the next one that we want to talk about is uh, reduce a hindering quality, usually at an action economy cost. So, uh, you know, for example, reducing the items encumbrance. Um, that may sort of uh, obviously those sorts of modifications are going to. I think um, I can't remember where it is, but there was a stripped down version. It may be in Star Wars where you basically strip down the weapon. It's an attachment, but you, it allows you to strip down the weapon to to pretty much nothing, so that uh, like all of its outsides of insides are are exposed. Yeah, uh, you can reduce the cumbersome if you spend preparation maneuvers. Bipod, tripod, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can reduce uh, the difficulty of long to extreme range attacks, and a good example of that is the uh, telescopic sight from the mm-hmm. core rulebook. And then reducing the, the number of setback you suffer when making stealth checks uh, for armor. Yeah. And I believe one of those is in Shadow of the Beanstalk. Um, as well. Yeah. And you know, going back to reducing the items encumbrance, you know, you mm. talk about that Star Wars one. There's one in the Genesis Core rulebook too that's a lot simpler. It's just called the weapon sling. Ah, of course. Yes. Yes, yes, I yes. I mean, it's, it's it's a weapon sling. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, yeah, it, it one hard point and it decreases the weapon's encumbrance by two. Mm. So you, you can know, carry yeah. that heavy repeating blaster. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, very, very, very. It doesn't do anything for cumbersome, but no, at the very no. least, it just reduces its encumbrance. Exactly. Um, hmm. So there's that. Then the other category we have is we have a series of interesting uh, modifiers for attachments that basically they muck with the symbols. Hmm. Um, they they add symbols to die results. Which, which is, is, is something I love seeing. We're seeing so much of it from really good tested, uh, foundry content. And I love seeing it when it's in the core rules as well. Um, there's, <clears throat> there's one out there that literally, uh, you can gain a success and a threat on your attack rolls, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, usually it's accompanied by, it's always positive plus negative, right? Um, <laughs> there's one that, that you, it's the, that fearsome visage. You can add a success to any coercion check you make. Um, but, but you also add a failure to charm checks you make, right? Mm, yep. Um, and then one that I absolutely love in, in the core rule book, I think it was for, for melee weapons. It's called, it's called the duelist cross guard, mm. um, where you, you can suffer a strain. Like you, you add this duelist cross guard to a sword, right? Mm-hmm. And if a foe rolls one threat on an attack roll, you can suffer like uncanceled. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, uh, you know, uncanceled results. They've got one threat. You can suffer a strain and add two threat to that. Mm. So <laughs> you can make it three threat, which is enough to do something like a disarm, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I, you know, little things like that. I, I ab- absolutely love that. I love the adding symbols to a die results. You can have a lot of fun with that. And it's very much attachment territory also. I also love the option because maybe this will change, but right now, when it comes to that type of symbol manipulation on mm-hmm. roles, mm-hmm. you don't see a lot of it in talents. No, true. Rarely, if at all. And so, again, if we can have attachment abilities, much like we we're talking about with gear, if we can have attachment abilities that don't step on the toes of talents, I really like that. Yeah. I really, really, really like that. Mm. And probably our last point is adding a secondary weapon to the primary weapon or armor. Now, things like this is my favorite attachment. So the the best example is the under barrel weapon attachment, uh, which um, you can find on page two hundred and eight, um, and um, you know it basically gives you uh, another weapon that you can attach underneath your uh, uh, your pulse rifle um, to carry on the theme of our gear. Uh, that you can have your grenade launcher, um, you can have your flamethrower, for example. Um, and, uh, and different things like that. And in fact, they give those two examples, you know, the flamethrower and the grenade launcher. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a, something extra to, uh, uh, to add when, uh, you, you know, you have to kill every single MF in the room. Um, Except. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you typically want to select a single thing for the modifier. Uh, you know, yeah. if your urge is to envision uh, a special weapon that can do four cool things or a piece of armor that gives you three special benefits, realize that you should not pull, put all of that into the one attachment, as opposed to Star Wars, which used to do that. Uh, instead, treat it as three or four different attachments. And that's predominantly for uh, for balance more than anything else. Because if you have three or four attachments that won't fit onto that item, then it's probably going to be uh, overpowered what you're trying to do. You know, limit it. Because otherwise you're going to have a massively OP'd weapon 
and yeah. uh, or or armor, and um, you know things are going to get a little bit crazy. Yeah. Now, could you modify these rules as they are? Yes, you could, especially if you had someone who was a technical genius uh, who uh, was designing pieces of armor, for example. Um, you know, um, philanthropist, entrepreneur, um, you know, Tony Stark. Anyway, moving don't on. do that. <laughs> it's a bad idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> no, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know where you're going with that. Don't do that. <laughs> that's, that's a horrible idea. You, you want you want to you want to make some talents that could let you muck with some of this stuff. Exactly. Okay, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you, you can do that, but then you need to go through an entirely different playtest cycle for it. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, it could get op super quick. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I can I can see a gadgeteer or somebody like that who could maybe like like do this, but you'd need some very specific and very well tested talents to yeah, pull something. Like definitely, that. definitely. Yeah. yeah. So if it's um yeah if yeah just don't do that. <laughs> go down the go down the entire um, tree path if you want to go down that path. But anyway, yeah. Um, look at Gadgeteer in uh, the Edge of the Empire to give you a good idea of that. But anyway, step four, hard points. Hard points required. How many hard points does the attachment use up? Hmm. So, okay, guys, the, the vast, vast majority of both armor and weapon attachments have hard points required of just one. I mean, seriously, like 95% of them, it's like across all the three books we mentioned, mm. the hard point cost is just one. Mm. Um, you may be tempted to say, well, this weighted head <laughs> should only be on big melee weapons with an encumbrance of three or four because they're big melee weapons. So I'll make it two hard points. That way it can only be installed on big melee weapons. Keep in mind the use with that you've selected mm. limits things much better than hard points. Mm. So in the above example, keep that weighted head at one hard point required, which is mm. really what it should be. Mm. And just say in the attachment, yeah, it can only be used with melee heavenly heavy weaponry yep. or two handed bludgeoning weapons. Okay. Mm. You know, just, just get that specific with it. Um, so for weapons guys, hard points required for uh, weapon attachments mm. should really max out at two. Mm. Um, and, and, and honestly, I mean, that should be, even that should be rare. It should be designed for the big weaponry. Um, obviously, I mean, that weapon's going to have to have a cumbrance of three or four to even accommodate a two hard point attachment. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so, so honestly, yeah, for weapons, you really should be looking at hard point requirements of one for your sweet spot two two as a rarity mm. for armor. Hard points required can get up to two or three for those armor attachments, okay? M much more easily. Mm. But those should really be the exceptions. Again, if you go into the examples, it's typically one or less. You mm. see zeros as well, okay? And especially if it's cosmetic in nature, I mean, I mean, an attachment uh, may well be zero hard points required, mm. you know, as, as we see with something like Gilded, okay? Yeah. Mm. Um Again, the, the vast majority should just be one hard point required. You you can go above, but it's going to be that unusual thing. Yeah, right? absolutely. This should be well supported by your answer to question one mm. and, and the narrative of how this is used. Yeah. And I think that um, when you're playtesting 
any of these particular items that one thing to take into consideration, and this is the easiest way to play test it, is just to give these items to your players and ask them to break it. Ask them to put in as many attachments as they think, well, that they can fit based on the number of hard points that it has, and see if the system, see if the item or the weapon breaks. So, um, so yeah, do that. That's just my suggestion. Uh, for step five, we've got cost and rarity. In this last step, you're going to add the created item's cost and its rarity, as we have done before. It's basically, like everything else, it's pretty much guesswork. Um, When it comes to cost and rarity, it's best to compare it to setting similar uh, attachments that are already published. And as we've said, there's heaps of them out there. You've just got to go through and find them. So, um, so yeah. Mm. All right. So, we've gone through that. So, I think that it's time for us to discuss some... Uh, examples that we've um, created. What do you think, Chris? I'll do. Let's do it, man. We put our advice into practice, create some brand new attachments right here on the show. Mm. Um, following the steps we've outlined above, bringing something new to the table, I'm all for it. But guys, as we do this, it goes without <laughs> saying, as we said for gear, mm. what we are creating right now still fully hinges on being completely play tested. It is obviously not because we have created it for the show. Mm. Uh, so once again, if you want to use this stuff at your table, have fun, but take it with a grain of salt. Absolutely. And it was great. We got some great feedback last time uh, from, yeah. my, from my helmet. Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of talk and discussion about that um, on our Facebook groups, which is great. And there was a lot further, a lot more further discussion as well on the, uh, the Patreon support group too, which, which was great. That's what we want. We want people to basically going – uh, poking fingers at it to see whether it breaks. Uh, so, you know, definitely, please do this to us. Uh, we like that. And people will learn why certain things are a little bit unbalanced. So, yeah. Chris, let's go for a look at your piece of gear. What are we looking at, my friend? Okay, so back when you and I did episode 25, we created weapons, and we said when we got to attachments, we were going to create an attachment that could be used with the weapon we had created, right? Right, right. So, again, last time I created a garrot. We talked about it at length. You know, a cord or a wire with two handles that strangles, baby. (laughs) Um, But the thing is, I really wanted to get my James Bond on here. Right. All right. And I'm envisioning that Q branch issued watch that has the garrot wire hidden inside the watch. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. And you, you, you pull the ring over the over the watch face, right? And, and it, whoop, it pulls out and, you know, and the music goes, Ta-da! you know, it's somebody tries to strangle Bond and he, he flails like a jellyfish and then there's really awkward fighting. Um uh, you know, and that's what I want. You know, you can just unexpectedly pull that garrote wire to attack your target. Mm. Um, but beyond that, I-, I started playing with it and I'm thinking about it. It was like the idea of a flexible uh, wire garrote that could be put into a bracelet um, or a watch or just an unobtrusive piece of jewelry seemed to be quite useful. Mm. And then I said to myself, okay, well, why stop at a garrote? I'm making an attachment here. It should be a little more generalized, but it doesn't have to be, but it could be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this could be applied to like this principle could be applied to a tiny blade. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or another slicing weapon too. Even something like brass knuckles, you could apply this to mm. where it could be hidden unobtrusively as like a piece of jewelry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or a key ring. Um, you know, I, I think that's a brilliant idea. So what I ended up with, I'm calling the unnoticed holster mm-hmm. attachment. Okay. Mm-hmm. The unnoticed holster. So step one, describe and name the attachment. The unnoticed holster. Small weapons designed for assassination can often be concealed in an unobtrusive fashion, made to appear as a part of a bracelet, watch, or commonly worn, non-threatening item. It allows the wearer to hide their weapon easily and draw it on the unwary. (laughs) Step two, use with. Uh, the attachment, as, as I've written here, the attachment can be applied to any brawl or melee light weapon with an encumbrance of one or less. Mm-hmm. Seem to make sense. Yeah. Now we come to step three modifiers. Here's what I settled on. Mm-hmm. Any skill check made to detect the weapon suffers two setback dice. But the wielder must spend two maneuvers to draw the weapon instead of one. Mm. I wanted to give it a little bit of a drawback to go in with the, you know what I mean? Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, And then parenthetically, I say characters with the quick draw talent may draw this weapon as a single maneuver. Nice. All right. Nice. Um, Hard points required one. Yep. Mm hmm. Um, and then cost and rarity, uh, I compared to some other attachments. It's really simple and the benefits decent. I mean, it benefits okay. And it still has kind of a drawback with it, mm-hmm. but despite all that, it's more about the form than the function, man. It's, it's about the style of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that situational usability, I think it's going to be a bit more expensive for what it is just a bit. And I mean, again, that's really a narrative choice. You know, to me, it represents the, the, care and time that go in, goes into crafting this and putting right. this attachment on. I mean, this is something that's going to be custom for every weapon you do. Mm. Okay. It, it's going to be something tailored. It's going to be something unusual. Uh, you know, I can walk into any gun shop and buy a bipod. Okay. That's not going to be the case here. It's going to take the craftsmen doing their work, you know, mm. time. Mm. And, and I'm going to have to, to, to really buy a specialized item to fit the weaponry into. Yeah. And and honestly, I'm going to apply that same axiom to rarity. I think it should be quite rare, actually, because it's pretty much a custom or tailored item. I'll need to find a jeweler who <laughs> is willing to work with weaponry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, so, so yeah, honestly, so I settled on a price of 100 mm-hmm. and a rarity of 7. I think the rarity of 7 may be a little high, maybe 5 or 6, maybe better. Mm. But I, I, I settled on a 7. Well, given the fact that you do need to find someone who's specialized to be able to make that thing, I think a, a rarity of 7 is a good representation of that. Because you don't want to go through the whole idea of, well, we have to go and find the, the person and then we're going to have to find out whether they need to or whether they're able to do this particular or willing to do this particular item. You just want to roll yeah. it, you know, bring it down to a roll and then describe it narratively. So rarity of seven, I think, is suits perfectly. So I, I think that that's, that's good for what it is based on the description. So, yeah, that's good. I really like that. It's nice and simple, keeps with the rules. 
mentions another rule that uh, with the quick draw holster or the quick draw talent, sorry, um, which I think is great. So uh, very complete, very complete. So I don't know whether I'm going to compare with that or not, but um, we'll, well see. You, let, let, let's see what you did with your fistigons, man. Yes. What, 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 when did you get this? So with the uh, with the fistigons, originally what I wanted to do, uh, rather than just being um, to attack with them, I really wanted to be able to give that whole knockback type thing, but beyond just knocking someone prone, I wanted to be able to knock them back so that the kids have the chance to run away, because that's what we're dealing with. We're talking about high school kids that are suddenly superheroes. So for step one, it's describe and name the item. So uh, for me, it's the repulsor field, and the repulsor field gives the physicons the means to push the opponent away um, so that, uh, as I mentioned before, so that basically the kids can escape. So what would you be using it with? You, The item can be attached to any brawl weapon that is powered by some means. And this goes back to what we were talking about before, that you can really limit the types of items that you can attach them to. So I've gone the next step down, which is not just brawl weapons, but brawl weapons that are powered by some means. Okay. For step three, modifiers. When using the item, its user may spend two advantages to force an opponent away in any direction by one range band. Alternatively, they may use a triumph to move them two range bands instead. Basically, I've just used the whole two advantages um, gets to activate an ability. I thought about using uh, the tractor ability, but that's more about holding people in place. I don't want to hold them in place. I just basically want to um, move them, which is not what tractor does. So instead, I've just gone with this very simple um, method of just going, right, well, it forces somebody backwards with two, which means that if you want to knock them down as well, you're going to be needing four advantages. So that's going to be a little bit unlikely. So you've really got a choice of one or the other. Okay. So hard points required, I've said that it's one hard point. And for the cost and rarity, like Chris's example, uh, for cost, I've compared it to other attachments. And I think that it's going to be a, a lot more expensive mainly because of what the item is and what the setting might be. So it's it's more high-tech. So as a result, it's not something that you're just going to be able to buy on the shelf. It's going to be something really expensive. So um, I've, I've basically said that uh, the price is, is 1000 and that rarely I'm going to uh, drop it down by one from the Fisticons, which was 10 and I'm going to drop it down to 9 um, because I just think that sort of it's not a unique item. It could be applied to anything else, um, but uh, it's still new tech enough that uh, it would be difficult to. Uh, no, to you're, you're, dude, you're you're cost, you're costing and rarity is right on. Yeah, yeah, um, cool. It, it's right on. the The modifiers is very powerful mm. um, as, as a two advantage ability. But to put that in context, like. If you look at some of the, it's it's the inverse of something else. When you look at some of the suggested ways to spend triumph and, th- or excuse me, advantage and threat mm. Um, mm. in a combat encounter, yep. one of those is to give the character a free maneuver. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like like such as the ability to to move a range band. Mm. Um, in this case, you're enforcing that on a different character. Yeah, so true. from an action economy standpoint, for two advantage, it's actually appropriately costed. Mm. Um, 
the reason it's powerful is depending on terrain, you could throw someone off a cliff. You want to keep this simplistic, so you don't want to include mechanics like an opposed check, you know. Um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, but but at the same time, narratively, the GM could always throw that in if you're in that situation. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and no, dude, it, it's simple. It it, it, it it uses the rules in a unique and way without diverging from them. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like it. I think, I think it does exactly what it should do. Cool. Awesome. Well, that is attachments. <laughs> did you just create something I didn't argue with? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I'm losing my touch. I think I was more critical of, of my own gear. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. That's awesome. Very good. Dude, I, I love it. I love it. So, guys, in, in interest of full transparency, last episode we mentioned this very briefly, and Huli and I had talked about possibly bringing into this episode. But we, when we started, when we got down to do the notes, we saw how how big it was. It, mm-hmm. We just it, it didn't make sense. We we had talked about. We mentioned last episode the the craftsmanship options mm-hmm. from from realms of Terranoth, but also the weapon and armor traits uh, found in Secrets of the Crucible. Mm. and how those might play in and as we said they're really separate systems that don't shouldn't change how you craft the weapon but they they're kind of are they're they're really more player options i think than anything else because a player mm. kind of picks how to do it it we just didn't see it fitting in here mm. it's one of those things i don't know what we would talk about with it in terms of you know we could maybe talk about designing template like designing craftsmanships although i don't know what you would possibly build that Terranoth <laughs> doesn't already include if you're in that setting we could talk about designing armor and weapon traits for for keyforge but the lists are massive again i don't know that there's that incredible need hmm. We still could do a rundown if people want, but we've got a lot of stuff on the docket. But I guess my point is, if you guys have enjoyed this creation discussion and you'd like us to dive into those two aspects, we would probably cover them together in a single show. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of, 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 of templatizing. Um, it's, it's almost attachments light. Yeah, it is. You know I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It is. And, and, and in the early drafts of the show notes, we actually, I actually had a set of notes in it that basically said, uh, assuming we were going to cover them during the show, yeah. I actually had had written down like, and I, I do speak from experience here. Do not implement both. Mm. Like, no Terranoth has attachments in there. Mm. And and okay, well, let me uh, rephrase that. I was speaking. I was saying that in terms of secrets of the Crucible. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, with with Terranoth, it, it's okay. Um, because there's only a handful of them and they, they're, they're very simple, but you know, the attachments system in secrets of the crucible is not really like what we discussed. It has its own thing, Mm. which really is these traits and they're, they're kind of unique. So it really is its own thing. I don't know what I'm trying to make is if you guys want us to go through that, let us know. All right. Uh, uh, give us some prioritization for our various show topics and we can probably come back to that at some point. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Am I am I am I, am I off base, Uli? No. Look, I, I think you're absolutely on base. Um, the only thing that I would recommend is, you know, we can do a short segment, maybe in in diecasting or something like that, about um, the types of uh, of materials yeah. that you can use. Um, because the first thing that comes to mind is something like silver. For, yeah. And I think it really depends on the sort of setting. Because in yeah. a particular setting, like if you're doing a horror sort of setting or, or something like that, that something that is good against evil creatures that are from beyond would be uh, quite advantageous that hasn't been covered elsewhere. 
So I think that yeah. something like that could be of benefit. So um, you know. yeah, and, and it comes down to like if you're talking about like a silvered weapon. I mean, yeah, that's a classic example for an attachment, right? Mm, mm. Um, uh, that you can have as an attachment. But at the same time, if you are using those craftsmanship materials from Realms of Tyranoth, yep. you could do you could make it that as well. Absolutely. But there's there's arguments for both, and we could we could definitely get into that because I'm sorry, I could have an elven weapon that has been silvered or a dwarven weapon that has been yeah. silvered, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, iron and steel, though. Maybe, maybe well i mean this thing you 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 don't craft a weapon out of silver you silver a weapon okay yeah, yeah. you would take a steel sword and you would you add silvering to it right mm, mm. so i mean yeah yeah but i mean those are those are classic examples i mean what a, what a great example of an attachment as well it's like for for weaponry you know it's like yeah it's silvered it's like what's the what's the what's the modifier it, it affects lycanthropes you know <laughs> they don't have resistance to silvered weapons i mean that's mm. it could be something as simple as that yeah. right it ignores soak simple yeah. as that yeah some, something as simple as that right yeah. so i mean yeah those are those are great great exa- a great example of a, of a great fantasy attachment that that could be implemented if you have something like lycanthropy mm. or vampirism you know in mm. your in your setting mm. so mm. exactly well, speaking of horrors from beyond and um, oh. ar- amongst us, there you go. Look at that. I've done a segue. Woohoo. Uh, is, that, is that how it's done, Chris? Golf <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, so, yeah, speaking of horrors, let's talk to uh, our wonderful friend, uh, Kyle Scarp, uh, about his uh, latest addition to the Genesis Foundry in Hell is Full. What do you think? Let's do it, brains. Breaking the mold. The Genesis Foundry is an exciting community of fan-created content for Genesis. New settings, new rules options, adventure and campaign modules, and oh so much more. But some creators, they go above and beyond. They subvert our expectations and break the mold with their work. And our Breaking the Mold segment is dedicated to showcasing an exciting offering available right now in the Genesis Foundry as we separate the pure alloy from the slag and point you to the best content out there. Now, tonight's product is a phenomenal new Foundry offering that brings the zombie apocalypse to your Genesis table. Hell is full. What a name. This supplement comes from seasoned Foundry designers Scott Zumwalt and Kyle Scarp. And while compatible with the gold bestseller and much beloved Something Strange, modern horror setting, it's a standalone product as well. Bottom line, Hell is Full gives players and GMs the tools they need to run some really bloody good zombie apocalypse games. <laughs> um, not only does it give us, as expected, over a dozen zombie adversaries and loads of cool post-apocalyptic zombie fighting gear, but new setting-specific item qualities, 25 new talents, and a series of entirely new optional rules mechanical subsystems that cover everything from crafting weapons out of junk to scavenging resources to headshotting zombies. <laughs> As you say, it is some bloody good zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Love it. Uh, there's so much amazing content here for a phenomenal price point, and we just had to talk about it. And uh, on that note, we're glad to welcome one of the designers and developers behind this zombie-tastic supplement, Kyle Scarp, a.k.a. Scarpy. Welcome to the show, Kyle. <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you for having me. It's an uh, honor being here. Ah, 
We're just grateful you came, man. Mm. Uh, it's it's a thrill to finally get to talk to you, man. You've been you've been like like a lot of people know you, man. You you because you've been a heavily involved community member for a very long time. Yeah. Um you know, but but I mean for many of our listeners, this is like the first time they're hearing your your dulcet tones <laughs> from the from the from the frozen north. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dude! But yeah, man. Like, so honestly, before we talk about Hell is Full, because I really want to, I'd love to get to know you a little better. I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your gaming career. Sure, sure. Uh, so I've been. Um, I started off at a wee wee young age of around five. I was playing video games. Um, I remember picking up video games uh, in preschool in our preschool daycare. I play Sega Genesis. Um, so I've, I was a video gamer all the way through my life, still am, uh, but I didn't really get into board games or, or tabletop games up until this last decade. So uh, around 2013, 2014, I started getting into the modern hobby board games, and then it wasn't up until even a few years ago, 2018, 2019, that I started uh, with the uh, tabletop RPGs, and um, I kind of uh, tested the depth of the waters with both feet and jumped straight in with with Genesis and I um, I haven't come back up for air if that makes sense. <laughs> Dude, what? So is is, Gen- is Genesis your only jam, or do you have any other RPGs that you throw down? Uh, well, I do I do play um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, Fifth Edition. Um, but other other than that, um, Genesis and D and D are kind of my only my only ones. I I I've gotten to the point now where I kind of want to start reaching out and get a few more, but I don't know if I'll be able to uh, find the time to do much of any of that. But <laughs> well, dude, you're you're like you're you're consuming very salty food and very sweet food simultaneously there, and I like salty <laughs> and I like sweet, and I'm not going to say which is which, but uh, yeah, you, I have, you, that's I have a, an idea. That's a that's a well. You're, you're assuming I like sweet. I, you don't you don't know. Um, uh, you know I, I I feel you, man. But yeah, you're getting that's that's a that's a those two things alone will give you a pretty diverse RPG palette to say <laughs> to, 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 to say the least. Um, mm. My um, my 11 year old daughter uh, begged me at the start of the summer to teach her and her friends how to play D and D, and like. I say she begged me, like I've been cajoling her since she was very little to roleplay. Um, <laughs> but it, but D and D's cool now, right? And mm. and so and so I'm like I'm like, you want to play D and D? Are you sh- like Are you sure you want to play D and D? And she's like she's like, oh yeah, Dad, it's what all my like all the it's it's that's what we need to play. I'm like, okay, okay, fine. And so uh, yeah, I'm running I'm running a Dungeons and Dragons fifth ed game for a group of four 11 year old uh, and 12 year old girls, and uh, <laughs> they're they're rocking it. And and they're having a blast, but inside I'm just like, oh, you guys could be having different experiences. <laughs> you could use these dice over here. They don't even have numbers. They don't even have numbers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I I definitely have a preferred system, but uh, I I think I I think I play fifth edition because that's what everybody else does too. <laughs> hey, it's a fine system. It, it's it's my favorite version of the D twenty mechanic they've published so far. I'll I'll say that straight up. Um, it's but, the only one I've played, so I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't actually say that. In in all honesty, um, fifth edition is not my favorite D anD D. Basic D anD D is. 
what, like forgetting, Th- forgetting well, Thacko, but um, yeah, basic. Yeah, D&D you can't forget Thacko. That's just that's just basic. D- Thacko and the initiative system just rule it out for me. Thank you, but no. Uh, but then again, you know, you, you have nostalgia. It's different. Yes, I'm old, but anyway, we've established that, so that's fine. <laughs> um, so, Kyle, we ask this of all of our guests: What style of game or, or game setting? Or theme do you like to get on the table? I know that you've just said that, you know, Genesis is, um, is pretty much a jam. Um, and, uh, you, you have played D&D as well, you know, but what is it? What's your favorite sort of thing to, to play in Genesis? Uh, that would be an easy, an easy answer. Um, the Shadow of the Beanstalk book is the reason I bought Genesis. Um, nice. Back in, back in 2013, <laughs> um, I started, I found I found Android Netrunner, and I ah. remember watching YouTube videos of the game, not knowing anything that's going on, but I loved it all. And I bought that, got into it, and it's my favorite game still to this day. Um, when I heard that, I don't remember, was it 2018 that the um, in-flight report said that Genesis was coming out? Yeah. Um, they showed a couple pictures of Android, and I was I said, okay, I have to get this now because if I have any inkling or any chance that I can play in the Android setting or in the Android universe, I, I got to jump on that. And then it just turned out to be uh, a much better system than I thought it was going to be. And uh, <laughs> so that's where I'm at. Dude. Right. So, so he says Android, he says Android survey says that is the correct answer. That is the correct answer. That is the correct answer. We also would have accepted fantasy or science fiction or space opera or modern um, or steampunk or horror. But but yeah, that, that is on the board. That is on the board, Scarpa. That's a large board. <laughs> well, you've played Genesis. That's, that's a very large board. Um, <laughs> dude, no, that's awesome. I, I like God, what a what a way to fall in love with this set with the game too. Oh, because and- Android's an amazing setting. And if you haven't, um, I don't know if you, I don't know how much you read, but um, they've published a tremendous amount of fiction in the in the Netrunner Android universe. Um, that I know Katrina Ostrander of FFG oversees, and it's great. Yeah, I haven't. Unfortunately, I haven't really been much of a reader my entire life. Um, I always say, like every year, I say, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read some more. I'm gonna read. I have all those novels. I have all the fiction. I haven't hmm. opened up more than one of those books." So it's it's on my to-do list and that hey, to-do man. list is 32 years old. Hey man, the holidays are coming. <laughs> the holidays are coming. Although you got a new wife, you don't have any free time. What am I saying? <laughs> I don't think she's going to listen to this. <laughs> well, she does, she does listen to this. You say you say no, you're right. I do nothing but spend yeah, time yeah, with my edit, amazing edit wife. That out. Yeah, yeah, edit that out. Um yeah, it's great. Great newlywed. Yep. okay kyle let's talk about hell is full Mm. give us the pitch man tell us about it in your words how would you describe this supplement to someone looking to purchase it what what makes it different from other supplements and what content can players expect to find in it the best way to pitch it would be how i first jokingly said our tagline should be uh, hell is full your characters will die (laughs) <laughs> and that's definitely what we set out to do, and I think we accomplished that. Indeed. 
Well, so so yeah, man. I mean, it's it's a zombie apocalypse supplement. But uh, you, you're say, you're saying the the lethality is it as is is heavily intense. Yeah, we we wanted to make Genesis more brutal, so we definitely increased the lethality of combat, and also with the optional rules changes that we added, it makes it not your. It's not your grandmama's Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I, I like, uh, and dude, you hit us up with that straight away. That's like in the first section, the like, like the first content page, is is optional rules. Oh yeah, here's rules where like implement these if you really want to get the feeling in, right? And it's like, yeah, you run out of ammo like a lot, like a lot faster. Okay, uh, here's rules for headshots. Oh yeah, your armor, your armor can take armor damage and get weaker over time. Um, you know, advanced rules for unaware targets, ramming characters with vehicles, intensive rules for thirst and hunger and and, sl- and tired, you know, lack of sleep, like seriously injuring your your character, um, <laughs> or preventing your character from healing, rather. But dude, yeah, it's it's brutal. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> Just. Uh... The thing which got me right from the from the get go was uh, definitely headshots because headshots has been a bit of a bane of my existence for a while, uh, and this really addresses that nicely in a deadly way. But that's exactly what you know you would expect a zombie apocalypse to be like. Yeah. Um, it is not a nice place at all, um, and the number of times that you run out of ammo as well uh, because of the way that the the system's designed now. That it it makes that searching for ammunition that much more relevant because you're constantly running out of stuff. Um, so yeah, that that was sort of the the two things that jumped at me straight away, and that's just in the first two friggin' pages. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's just brilliant. I mean, I mean, just the. Not not carrying ammo over between encounters, like you have to have extra reloads, like that's insane, that, and beautifully, beautifully insane. Um, yeah. But again, very realistic and very zombie apocalypse. Mm. Yeah, when you if you play this using these rules, you'll definitely be either on the edge of your seat or puckering the entire time because it's it's not <laughs> meant to be it's not it's not meant to be a nice easy breeze down down uh, memory lane or or. Uh, <laughs> Someone's going to die. They're going to die pretty horrifically. And you'll be out of ammo the entire time. <laughs> you might be able to threaten someone with a gun, but you're not going to be able to pull that trigger and do much of anything with it. This, 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 this is true. As, as my old roommate used to say, baseball bats don't run out of ammo. That is correct. And there's a few talents that, uh, that have that in mind. So, Cole, what can you tell us about the development and design of the Hellas full setting? You know, how did it come about in the first place? Um, and what did the development process look like uh, with you and Scott at the helm? Um, yeah, that was actually a, uh, kind of a uh, stars aligned kind of moment. One of my favorite video games series is The Last of Us. Oh, yeah. And, and so I wanted to, I, I embarked to make a Last of Us setting. And I was going to type it up and throw it out there for free because obviously you can't put it up on the foundry because it's an existing IP. Mm. And so I started, I started working on that, and that was supposed to be totally brutal. I was working on some adversaries, I was working on some talents, maybe some rules changes. And Scott and I had been talking in passing about what he was working on at the same time, 
and he was trying to make a battle royale setting uh, based nice. basically off of the the movie the japanese movie of the same title and also mm-hmm. things like the hunger games where uh you throw your players down on an island they have to get out and uh they have to survive the entire time and that's so that's where a lot of the uh, optional rules came in like the running out of ammo and he had a, a little bit of scavenging rules i was trying to make my own we kind of brought everything together and then mm. uh kind of just molded it into what it is now from two different angles that's brilliant you know you and, and to be clear scarpy you can publish like i like a, a licensed ip uh supplement on the foundry but it'll be the last thing you publish <laughs> <laughs> And it won't be on the foundry for long. Um, but you, you might have a day of glory, maybe. Um, um, and then a cease and desist and likely a lawsuit. Uh, <laughs> Worth it. Worth it. What, what, oh, my, my, my last Starfighter setting is, is waiting in the wings. Um, <laughs> Just got to put all my existing IP settings in one file and just put it all out at once. <laughs> well, it it it's just, yeah, everybody, you get them all. Get them all done. Just get, Do- if you get one cease and desist, why not go for two? Or yeah, yeah, well, why, 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 why not? It's just one extra court date. I mean, why not? I, you know, <laughs> you know, hey, you get legal fees, just double your legal fees. What do you, you know, hey, uh, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, You're not going to pay them anyway, just a, right? Just a- <laughs> just, just have to say the forge does not endorse the uh... gamer nation. This is called sarcasm. <laughs> it's very hard to distinguish sarcasm in today's climate. This is sarcasm. Um, <laughs> um, okay. So speaking of speaking of cease and desist, or rather, or should I say, full stops and warnings. Um, <laughs> One of the things I appreciate about the work that some of our seasoned design folks do um, is the amount of playtesting that's done. Um, you know, we 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 champion it on this podcast quite a bit. We always tell you, you know, it's like it's like never, never, never just release it into the wild, right? You need you need to send it to school first, right? You need to give it a little a little bit of an education. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to know what your playtesting process is like. We always try to ask that because, because we get so many comments, people, our listeners love hearing that as they're thinking about what, like, they want to know what others did basically. I mean, when, when you're, you know, when you're dealing with entirely new threats that you've got in this book, but of course weapons and of course the optional rules mechanics of which there's a lot, I mean, that can be pretty daunting. What was the playtesting process like for this? Uh, so while we were writing it, we did a lot of back and forth with, uh, is this a good idea? Is that a bad idea? Should we do this? Should we word it like this? Do it like that? Uh, so there's a lot of discussion beforehand, even while writing it. But then up until just before it was released, we actually had a live gameplay that we put up. It was on the it's on the Genesis community YouTube page. Nice. And that that was kind of a live play slash play test at the same time. So we did that, recorded it all, and then after that was done made a bunch of changes. This was too hard. This was too much. This was, we didn't like, we didn't like this idea. We forgot about this rule. So let's just take it out because it's too much already. And, (laughs) and then, and then put the supplement up on the foundry. So it's kind of a, it's, it's a neat way to look into what we did with it because you can watch it live. See, and this is, this is brilliant. I I was, I wasn't going to lead you into it. I was hoping you were going to talk about that video because it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Like, 
okay, we have, especially with the Genesis Foundry community, we we, we and, and and the Genesis RPG community itself, we have we have such an incredibly strong player base out there that's willing to play test, right? Mm. And and it's like there, I mean, it's just there. You just got to put it out and be like, hey, I'm doing this, and and if you if you build it, they will come, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, you know, and it's yeah. It, so I, I love. I've watched that. I loved it. I thought it was. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I appreciate the fact that it's interesting to hear you talk about simplifying things or cutting things out. You know, one of the one of the one of the sins of design from. Prof- I mean, I totally can tell you for professional designers often is make things like oh this is great and then you play it out it's like it's just way too complicated. Too and when you're a nerd in it and you've created it, it doesn't seem complicated to you at all, right? <laughs> And, and yeah. the, but the ability to recognize that and take it in from players, man, that's that's phenomenal, absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Just a, just a question about, about that process. Did you guys get any feedback from any of like the the people who who watched the video that they made comment? Because I'm just thinking in our current day and age where people aren't necessarily playing around a table as such, that that could actually be one really good way of. Of gaining some playtesters without needing to send the entire document out, that they can basically be watching a group playtest, and then they get some feedback from the community who've watched it. So that's I'm just wondering whether that actually happened because I think that that that's something that could be of benefit. Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't catch much comments on the YouTube page for that, but I think it's a a great way to look at it like that and have. Mm an opportunity to get a much lower a l- much lower commitment to mm. a playtest so uh, maybe somebody somebody doesn't want to playtest because they don't have the time or they don't have the experience or this that the other whereas if you just put it out into the open and mm. maybe some things will trickle in like hey why'd you do this or what was that point or i didn't really like this and maybe you could do something with that otherwise mm. it's just cool to hear what people have to say about things too yeah because especially when you've got groups that are playtesting and then you've got, I don't know, other people in other countries, <laughs> for example, <laughs> that can't necessarily coordinate sort of their own groups. That's a, a, a great way of doing it. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. Interesting. So, can you give us a bit of a glimpse of something exciting or unique in Hell is Full that we haven't already talked about so far to to really whet our appetite and perhaps, you know, also share with us your favorite thing, which is in the supplement? Yeah, sure. So, when I was working on building something for The Last of Us, what I did is I tended to look at the game and look at things from a thematic level and try and convert that into a mechanic thing rather than the other way around. And if you haven't played The Last of Us, know that there's quite a few times where you might take down a zombie and put the controller down and think, oh, I need a shower. That was <laughs> <laughs> that was dirty. And so to represent that, one of my favorite things that I, that I came up with was a, a talent called Gruesome Shot. And uh, Gruesome Shot, along with actually another talent, another tier four talent called Until the Handle Breaks Off, uh, just listening to the names <laughs> kind of gives you <laughs> kind of gives you a vision as to to what the setting's all about. Uh, mm-hmm. But the gruesome, gruesome shot is a way to up the lethality of a certain weapon, and the mm-hmm. way that it's worded is it actually makes weapons that don't often crit hit harder, and weapons that do crit more often hit. I mean, they'll still hit hard, but not as much as as something lower. Okay, I just re I just reread that and understood that for the first time. 
That's that's brutal. That's it does br- it does usually take a second read. I, I remember putting that up on the Discord and asking for ideas or what people thought, and they were trying to give me ideas like, "Oh, maybe if you do this." And I thought, "No, read it again." And then somebody else came through and said, "Oh, wait, the critical rating." Hmm. So so, and, and do you, do you, do you mind if I describe the talent? Go for it. Yeah. 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 Uh, after you successfully make a combat check, you can spend a story point to add the vicious quality to the weapon. It has ranks in vicious equal to its crit rating. So if I have something like a baseball bat or an axe handle that's going to have, what, a crit rating of five? Okay, (laughs) it's going to take like five advantage to crit with it normally. I can pop that story point if I happen to roll the triumph and I get vicious plus 50. Oh my god! Yeah. Like, ew! (laughs) That's brutal! The other talent that I mentioned, until the handle breaks off, let's talk about that one too, because I just want to. Oh, hit me with it. (laughs) So until the handle breaks off reads, once per session after making a successful melee check against a character, your character may spend four strain to cause the target to suffer a critical injury. However, the melee weapon used for this attack is damaged two steps. Oh, God. (laughs) And in a zombie apocalypse, you're not always going to have a weapon with ammo. You might not always have the the most silvery, most polished spear or, or knife or whatever. You might just pick up a billiards stick or a two by four. <laughs> right. So those improvised weapons have a crit rating of five, according to the core rulebook. So if you take a swing at something and it's an improvised weapon, so what do you care if it breaks or not? You can take four strain, break that thing, basically, you know, give it two, two steps of damage, and then spend that story point and you just added 50 to your critical hit roll. Oh, that's that's wow. That's gruesome. I've got a question, though. What would happen if you've got a, I don't know, like a spiked glove or something like that that had vicious? (laughs) (laughs) So it it adds the vicious rating to it. So if you've already got vicious on a a weapon and then Mm -hmm. you trigger that, it's it's just going to become more vicious. Vicious plus vicious equals more vicious. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe that should have been the tagline. Well, yeah, to be clear, this is a tier four talent, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean yeah, because yeah. because that could be very powerful. But it's 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 up there, and it's it's well costed at tier four. One one of one of my favorite talents that I saw, and I actually commented about it online, um, was a tier two you guys created that I was so thrilled to see, and that was push it. Yeah, I was actually mm. I wanted to bring this one up because this is one that Scott made for his um, battle royale, and <sighs> I think it's. There's a lot of people out, out there that have tried to house rule what happens when you roll a complete wipe. When there's no success, there's no fail, there's no advantage, there's no nothing. And mm. uh, some people out there have said, oh, we'll st- spend a story point, make the roll again with higher difficulty. Well, that just kind of slows things down, right? That just, you have to make your dice pool again, you got to roll, you spend your point, you have blah, 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 interpret another roll. Whereas push it just says, well, you can spend the story point. And the check is considered to have succeeded with the result of success, two threat, and a despair. Yeah. Yeah. That'll make yeah. something happen. <laughs> uh, oh. And in the setting, a despair is obviously going to be pretty interesting, or it should be. It should and be. And so yeah. instead of rolling instead of doing all that to re roll a die or to re roll your pool and maybe figure out something else that happens. If it's something that's important enough to succeed, mm. have it succeed. 
and then just deal with what happens because it's the apocalypse. It's, it's not going to be a nice thing. <laughs> and then I just, I, you, you can't make a slip note like this, man, without putting in the zombies that you did. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> every flavor imaginable is in here from your traditional to your fast, to your big, to your sneaky, to a dog. <laughs> okay. A zombie horde a horde of zombies as an individual threat that is a rival. I think that's a fascinating way to handle a zombie horde and treat it as a rival itself instead of a minion group. Uh, minions are, are are great for when you're doing swarms, just like how the, the book has handled it before. But uh, making it a rival makes it uh, where you can, you can up some of the other things that it does. You can up its soak value, its wounds, its, uh, even its characteristics. And this makes it a little bit more interesting. We we kind of tweaked the swarm rule just a bit and called it horde instead. But it mm. essentially does kind of the same thing, but with different qualities. Yeah. And uh, and then obviously added in a few more things. But uh, grabby, <laughs> grabby. Yeah. Uh, Scott Scott gets very creative with his um, with his titles for things. So mm. uh, for the most part, I I kind of just throw some ideas at him, and then he adds a title to it, and I just roll with it because. He knows what he's doing, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you just got to take a look at all of the talents and the, and the names that he's got for, for them. I mean, yeah, that, that speaks volumes. So, uh, But, yeah, I love some of these abilities that, uh, that the zombies have. They're amazing. And uh, for those who've read Something Strange, which I know this is, this is meant to tie into, but, of course, as we've said, is a totally standalone supplement. It can be used on its own. Mm. He put in Zombie Skeeter. yep (laughs) um i thought it was i i think i jokingly said that we should put skeeter in here and he said yep it's all right we're doing it and he threw that in and then he gave him the him ability and we'll we'll just leave that for anybody who has it or wants to read it but it it basically makes skeeter the the savior to humanity (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> these my fighting hands uh, <laughs> oh dude okay scarpy this has been a a phenomenal chat i i was i was tickled when i saw this i was impressed when i read it um and i i love talking about things that really bring generalized value to this game because even like in in terms of just core like in terms of adversaries a huge section of the talents i mean there there's really not even it's not even necessarily limited to modern i mean obviously it's got that flavor and it's got that feel especially with the equipment but this is something that could play and provide additional content to virtually any game that's being run Mm -hmm. um and i absolutely love that so thank you for coming on to talk about it but i have to ask you man for you for the Scarpy, what's next for you and the Foundry? Well, I have a few things that are a little more than ideas on the whiteboard. Everything that I'm kind of working on, sort of half-assed working on, <laughs> is for the Android setting. So I have an idea to do much the same thing that I did with Guru's Guide for Cyber Things, where instead, yeah. of, instead of expanding on computers and rigging and, and all that, I want to do drones. So creating your drones modifying drones, things like that for that type of, for that type of character. Mm. And then I also want to do the, the Android setting is so vast. It covers obviously the entire, the entire world. We only know so much about the mega cities across the world and we know a lot about New Angeles. So my idea is to do 
essentially a New Angeles tour guide, but for those other mega cities. Awesome. Right. That'd be cool. Awesome. Well, dude, you need to get on that fiction reading then because there's a lot there. <laughs> there is. Yeah. It could serve as some inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, you, you, you do a book in one hand, notepad in the other. Ooh, I could use that. <laughs> Ooh, we could make that. Ooh, that's a talent. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have all the board games and I have all the books. I just need to actually sit down and go through it. Just The things we nerdy people do for the things we love. And the other thing that you just mentioned as well, Guru's Guide, that is an absolute must-buy as well, can I just say. Yeah, um, no, thank you. You put a lot of work into that. And, uh, yeah, it was absolutely amazing to read. So, uh, so yeah. That was a blast to to make because the majority of it was just a Google Doc and – uh, I hope none of my employers are listening, but I spent a lot of time at work daydreaming and brainstorming ideas as I was working. And then something would come up and I'd say, oh, that's got to be in there. And I'd pull open my phone, type or write it up in the <laughs> in the Google Doc and then set it back down and I'd keep going. So that was about a, a year, maybe a year and a half from inception to when it actually got out of the foundry. So. Wow. It shows. It was extremely good. And I, I loved it, but you have to realize that Huli's like you. Like, Android is his favorite thing of all time, <laughs> like, in terms of settings. And so yeah. it's like, it's like, have you? It's like, message, uh, have you? Uh, I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm, my Australian accent so terrible. It's like, I, have you read this? I, yeah. But it, uh, I'm, like, I'm like, I've looked at it. You you need to read it. You need to read it now, mate. <laughs> that sounds just it's like good effort. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. It does. But, <laughs> yeah it's not laughing enough uh <laughs> i just spend all my time laughing on the show half the time i think but uh but yeah stubby it's been an absolute blast to have you on the show uh thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to uh, to come and rant with us and uh for uh you know exploring um hell is full with us um it's uh it's a fantastic product you should be very very proud of it uh, as should Scott. And uh, yeah, if uh, to our listeners, if you haven't gone and taken a look at it, you must buy this product and buy it now, is all I can say. And for the price point, yeah. Oh my God, yes. Oh my yeah. God, yes. Yeah, very good, very good value. So thanks again, Scarpy. Well, thank you for having me. It was a blast. Game on. Okay. <laughs> Game on indeed. That was a fantastic discussion, can I just say. Dude, I love Scarpy. <laughs> <laughs> I love Scarpy. No, really, really. Like 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 Kyle, Scott, much kudos, man. That you you guys really you you done as usual, you done good. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you done good. And you guys definitely need to need, need to need to pick it up. It is you you have you have hammered out something worthy of the foundry. Well, I just can't believe the the well, yes, I can believe because we've been talking to him for a long time. But the work that Scott does, not just in this particular product, but in the community in general, is yeah. absolutely fantastic. The the he runs live plays. He does the you know really assists on the Genesis community uh, Facebook page and all of the other uh, community uh, that's linked in there with, um, the Discord channel and whatever else. And I know that he's got a ton of support there, but he does an amazing job. And to also manage to fit this in as well as have it as play, well play tested as it has been 
is just amazing. And have, so. and have a new baby at home, I'd like to say. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> when is the- no. he, he's, a, he's a treasure. He's- has he got a time machine? But anyway. I, <laughs> I have questions. I have lots of questions. And in fact, I reckon the community has some questions for us as well. Oh, are they are they maybe to be found under underneath the hammer? I think they are. Under the hammer. And welcome to Under the Hammer, the segment where we answer your games and rules questions about the Genesis RPG as it impacts both rules content, creation, and play. And we've got some great list of questions this week. Of course, if you would like to get your questions to run to the top of the queue, just visit us at patreon.com forward slash Forge Genesis and become a tier two Patreon supporter today. All right, Chris, bring us our first question. Oh, well, this comes in via Alarkahu. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, Alar- Alarkahu. Uh, <laughs> it could be any. <laughs> Alarkahu. Alarkahu. Uh, via our Forge Discord channel. Mm. He says the following, Why does rarity have a number and not just a difficulty? Does it make any mechanical difference? That's a really simple question, but it it could lead to a a really long discussion. But basically, (laughs) the reason why rarity has a number is because rarity can be modified by certain talents. Um, so you can, even though that it might be a seven or let's say it's a, uh, a six, so it's going to be three purple dice. So it's going to be a hard check. You drop that down by one. Well, that's going to drop it down to a two. So it does make a difference, uh, with talents. Uh, so that's the reason why they've given that sort of gap so that even though you may be on like an odd numbered, uh, rarity and you drop it down by one it's still going to be the same difficulty so that's the reason why they do that otherwise you're just going to be dropping you know two rarity values equivalent if you're only using um the uh just the difficulty so it just gives a little bit more range to play with effectively that's the reason why that is so yeah totally So my next question comes from Robert F. Thompson, who asks via Facebook Messenger. This may seem like a very basic question, but it's one I've never seen answered to my satisfaction. Narratively, what is the difference between skills and talents? Ooh, Robert, Robert, you're a man man after my, (laughs) my, 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 my drinking games design discussion heart right here, man. Um, that's a very good question. And mm. he's asking the question. I mean, obviously, we know what the difference between skills and talents are. Yeah. Mechanically, mm. what he's asking is narratively, from a character perspective, how do you differentiate the two? Mm. It's pretty simple. Um, and honestly, you should take it up a level. What's the difference between characteristics, okay, mm. abilities, skills, and, and talents? talents. Mm. Because that's really the progression when you think about it from a narrative standpoint, okay? Those six characteristics you have, right? Your brawn, your agility, and so on and so forth. Hmm. That's core capability. Hmm. It's how strong you are. It's how fast you are. It's how smart you are. It's how charismatic you are. It's how, you know, all the, th- all the things, all the things. It's, it's genetics combined with how often you work out versus, you know, over time, hmm. your proclivities, things like that. Yeah. Okay? It's basic. Hmm. Skill ranks, skills represent specialized training at a generalized use level okay so for example uh we'll take combat skills 
Okay. If I if I'm if I'm trained in range light, I can pick up a pistol or or a range light weapon and I can shoot exceptionally well. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can shoot exceptionally well. If I've got ranks in coordination, okay, I'm just I can do acrobatics. Just generally speaking, I can do acrobatics. It doesn't matter how I mean, if I'm naturally fast, I you know, naturally agile, I can pull that off, but I've got specialized training in a more specific area. Everything drills down. A characteristic is incredibly broad. How agile are you <laughs> versus how acrobatic are you versus how stealthy are you? Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. So these are very different avenues of specialization that build down from that generalized characteristic. Mm. Talents to a degree, and I'll talk about this, so don't throw anything at me yet. I'll talk about this to a degree. Talents are even more specialized. They're almost like tricks. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're narrative tricks. Okay. So it's like, um, you know, I, I, I'm a natural acrobat. Okay. And I've got some training in that, but that has little or no bearing on the fact that I've studied parkour and I actually have the parkour talent mm-hmm. and I can do crazy parkour movements. Okay. Regardless of the fact that I may or may not be able to do a backflip or balance on a tightrope, I can do that one thing the talent lets me do specifically. I can do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, is you got talents that don't even directly apply to skills. They're just generalized capabilities that you can do, whether they're defensive in nature. Um, even in this show, we've talked about things like quick draw, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, doesn't even apply to a skill, doesn't even apply to your agility. It's mm-hmm. just you, 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 you've trained to do that trick, mm-hmm. that one trick uniquely well. And then you roll it up, skills a little broader. You roll it up, characteristics even broader than that. Mm-hmm. I mean... I find it to be quite elephant, elegant, but uh, not elephant, elegant. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That's that's my narrative take on it. That's what I think about when I think about this kind of stuff, because I do think about this mm. kind of stuff. Mm. I thought it was a really interesting question. I'm glad we got to, to answer it. Because, yeah. yeah, it is one of those things that uh, when you're in the game table, you don't actually start thinking about it. But then when you have to go through the process of, of narratively describing exactly what's going on, how did that talent actually get used? So it is a really good question. So thanks very much for that, Robert. Really good. And I agree with 100% what you just said, Chris. So who's our next question from? Our next question comes in via the Genesis RPG Community Facebook page from mm. Lauren Bogo, who says, are skills linked to only one characteristic or does it depend on the situation? For example, uh, could my character use medicine with intellect to understand an illness, then use medicine with agility to perform the surgery that alleviates the cause? My goodness, did this open up a can of worms. Uh, (laughs) On the Genesis community, there was like, I haven't, you know, there was just so many responses to this. Uh, And there there is a lot of heated debate. And I know, Chris, you and I have had this discussion as well. Um, I've had this discussion with Jay Little, who created the narrative dice system. I've had this discussion <laughs> with him face to face, right? Over alcohol, okay? Right. Wow, many times, but we can come to that. I, I, yeah, yeah. So, is it possible? Yes. Should you always do it? No. Why? Because there are talents that allow you to do that, and because there's talents that allow you to do that that you don't want to rip off those people who are spending experience points to get some of those higher tier talents that allow you to do this. However, I think that as a GM, I should be able to mix it up a bit 
especially when you're talking like a skill challenge or something like that, when you really want to mix that up so that um, you really want to hit a character in their dump stat a little bit because they've they've been one of these people that have got like five dice in a particular skill and they've got five in agility and they're always going to, you know, make that coordination roll. Yes, you don't, for the same reason I mentioned before about talents, you don't want to rip off somebody who's spent all that XP on their skills as well as dedication to be able to get their, uh, their uh, agility up that high. But at the same time, you want to really challenge some players. So perhaps then instead of a coordination, you might be using it to talk to another athlete about, um, you know, for whatever reason, you're talking to somebody and they say, well, I'd like to use my coordination to talk about all the tricks that I did. Well, you'd be more using perhaps a social skill and then their social skill may be lower. So if you want to go down that path, be very, very careful. Don't use it all the time because you are going to potentially annoy people. Um, so yes, it's possible. There are other games that do it, um, but they have been set up from the get-go to be that way. Legend of the Five Rings is a really good example of that, but yeah. they have less skills than they do this system. That's my problem. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Because there are a ton of skills in this system, you just have to be really, really careful on how it's applied. If you want to design Genesis Lite and it has much fewer skills, then maybe. But again, make sure that you remove that talent that allows a character to, uh, to do it whenever they want to do it. Yeah, to do, um, to do the characteristic so, substitutions. Yeah, exactly. So, so, uh, so look, when, when Jay created the narrative dice system, you know, many, many years ago, hmm. his intention was to do this. Right. He's been, he's been very public about that, that that was his intention. Hmm. And when we had him as our guest of honor at Gamer Nation Con 2, hmm. um, and he was running Star Wars games, that's how he ran it. Wow. It was, it was interesting. My problem with it is I, I don't think, Certainly not in Star Wars now with the number of substitution talents that it has, those mm. characteristic substitution talents. Mm. But even then in Genesis, I mean, like, again, it's something I would keep very situationally. I will disagree with you. I would never inflict it on a player. Like, if it's like, well, I don't like your dice pool, so I'm going to make you do this. I might I might let them do it if they suggest it under certain circumstances. But at the same time, if you made it free form and willy-nilly, I mean, maybe I've got too much of a pessimistic view of my players, but I've got a, a played a lot of this freaking system, mm. man. And I've, I've played a lot of players and I know for a damn fact that if I started allowing that to where, yeah, you can just pick your combo. I'd, and I, I had a player who had a five in agility. He'd find a reason he or she <laughs> would find a reason to, uh, to substitute and suggest agility for, uh, yeah, I'm going to do my medicine check and I'm going to use agility. I'm going to do my, uh, Oh, you know what I'm going to do? My I'm going to do my uh, my my knowledge uh, my knowledge lore check, and I'm going to use agility with that because I'm going to be <laughs> racing around the library. I'm like, yeah, it's like, give me <laughs> give me a break, man. Like yeah. like that's that's so I don't know. I we do have codified rules for a reason. Like mm. it's the GM's playground. The GM can do whatever they want. I will agree with you. There's times and circumstances where maybe it makes sense. Okay, but it's not just about the talents. Okay, it's also about rewarding character decisioning 
for putting experience points in the right place. Yeah. Do you think the doctor in the party who spent the XP to get a four in intellect is going to be hunky dory with the speedster in the party throwing 15 XP in to get a couple ranks of medicine and be have a better pool than he does? Yeah, it's, it's like ridiculous. Under, under any circumstance? Yeah, that's right. It's exactly I, like, like, you, you, like it, it's about it's about party cohesion. I so I mean I mean yeah, and you bring up a very good point, Huli. Like the system wasn't designed for it. It was clearly wasn't designed for it. I mean, you can you could have fun with it and play with it, but there's also there's also way too many skills. There's way too many skills to to have that level of 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 willy nilliness to it. If it was a dozen or less, I would say maybe. Okay, um, yeah. or if it was ten or less, I would say maybe. Look, to to be honest, I think the the best the better way to handle it is to uh, increase the difficulty if they want to use those particular skills that uh, if they wanted to for in in this example um, that they wanted to uh, still use medicine but there is due to situational modifiers maybe the surgery has to be performed in the middle of a combat zone you would increase the difficulty or environmental factors which is the realm of setback die Setback die cannot be underestimated. You know, you want to use setback die to remind players that that's the reason why it's a little bit more difficult. So that when they're interpreting their own die, they're basically going, right, well, that's where this is from. But if they want to be using those particular skills, depending on the scenario, you don't agree. Uh, Because, again, I can solve it with a 5 XP talent, Huli. Hmm. Five XP. Okay, I ignore the setback. I ignore, I ignore two setback die on a specific skill. Okay, that's fine, but I. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be that specific skill. I mean, but if a person has spent five XP on it, and it's one of those specific skills, they've got a reason for it. They've got a potentially a narrative reason for it. You can then get the player to explain. Why it is that um, knack for it applies in this circumstance, and that creates backstory for the character, and that's something that can be used potentially against them later on if they try to do the same sort of thing. It really depends, um, but I think that, especially uh, the reason why I'm thinking this way is predominantly for skill challenges. One of the the main rules with skill challenges is that you sub- everybody's supposed to be using a different skill. Right, they don't always have to be. I mean, depending on how you've set it up, that every single person uses a different skill, or each time that they do as part of the skill uh, challenge, they have to use a different skill. That you want them to be creating that diversity of of skill use. Um, but if they suggest something, they can't come up with a reason, so they've they default to their their larger skill. What you'd be saying is, sure, give me a reason why. If it sounds reasonable and creative, I would allow that, but I would increase the difficulty. Yeah, but what you just described negates the entire impact of the skill challenge. That's the point, is that you're not supposed to be able to default to your tried and true. It's like, no, I'm, I understand you want to move to the thing that gives you five dice in the pool every single time. Sure. But I'm not going to let you do that because it's a skill challenge. Sure. That's the point, is you're supposed to be creative. Mm. And 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 a good skill challenge, like a, a GM should be rewarding you rolling with that low pool by giving you an interesting or slightly lower difficulty yeah. or giving you a few boost dive for creative role playing. Yeah. Like, 
I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> fundamentally, I, I have, I have, I have many problems with it. I'm not saying you can't do it. I just think it's a bad idea. Yeah. Look, it, it has to be. And I mean, this is the reason why it created so much debate. And as you, as listeners, you can tell Chris and I don't necessarily agree on this either. So it is one of those things that you have to be very, very careful with. Predominantly because it's going to potentially create arguments at your table and potentially create, you know, issues that don't need to be there because the rules are codified in such a way that they are attached to uh, an attribute. All skills are attached to an, an attribute. So maybe stick with the rules, I think, on this one, which is that you don't do it unless as a specific circumstance. I'd love to see a Genesis light, though, that allows you to mix and match. Seriously, boil the system down to like, I don't know, eight skills, ten skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can do some mix and match and sure. There is one that's sort of out there that somebody has designed because they converted Legend of the Five Rings to Genesis. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they don't have the base attributes that what we would normally have for Genesis. They have the five rings that yeah. um, as your stats. So, yeah, something to consider there as well. But you can do all sorts of things with this system. But, um, but yeah. And, and for that matter, just go play L5R. It's great. Yeah, yeah but absolutely. <laughs> I would agree. Um, yeah, just, so. <laughs> just, just go play Bell. So. Now, to put a final nail in, the, uh, in the, this discussion uh, is that you can actually go and take a look at page 205 or 200, yeah, 205. Um, of the core rules, where they actually talk about uncoupling skills. Now, one of the things that they actually back you up, Chris, is that uh, they say that these sorts of things can create arguments at the table, and it goes on to a lot about what we've talked about today. Uh, but one of the things that they suggest, which is actually quite a, a good argument breaker if there is one, um, is that they can't do that unless they spend a story point. Now, this is really quite good because uh, the talents that exist that, um, you know, um, remove the need to uh, use the currently attached attribute don't actually need a story point to activate. They activate as normal. Uh, so it means then that, uh, yeah, you uh, it's that story point side of things uh, if characters want to do that, but they have to be able to... Um, you know, they, they have to be able to justify that and justify that to everybody at the table. So that's uh, something to consider there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, dude. Do we have another question? We do. Our last question for Diet is from Comstar, who asks via Genesis RPG Community Discord, are there any official species with some kind of magic resistance? If there isn't, how could I create such an ability and what would it cost? Now, this requires a little bit of research, but basically I've looked at this myself as far as yep. magical resistance. Um, the easiest way, and you can do it one of two ways. Um, you can do magic resistance as an upgrade to any checks in the same sort of way that you would have the adversary talent or you would have nobody's full talent. So where it upgrades any social checks that um, target that particular character. You can have it in the same sort of vein as you automatically upgrade. And I know that I've done that for when I was converting, 
for a Pathfinder um, adventure for uh, Legacy of Fire, I actually converted the Pugwompies and gave them magic resistance, which was an automatic upgrade. Yeah, that's one way to do it. And obviously, the higher the magic resistance, the more the more upgrades they, they're obviously going to have. So, <clears throat> magic resistance will have a rating in a similar sort of way as Adversary and, and um, the other talent as well. As far the other way that you can do it is actually just add setback, or if it's magic that does damage, it can uh, you might be doing something like double the soak or whatever else, but that makes it really complicated. I found that the best way to do it is just treat it as an upgrade uh, and then start messing with the narrative depending on the dice roll. That's my thoughts. Are there any, and you said, and if you, I didn't remember if you said this, are there any official species? I don't think there are. There isn't. No, there's nothing with magic resistance that I could find. Somebody might have someone on the foundry, um, uh, yeah. but I haven't been able to find that yet. So, but um, yeah, magic. Hmm. And Comstar, as far as how you would cost such a thing in terms of species creation, I mean, look, we've said it before when we've talked about archetype and species creation on the show. Think about it the inverse of a free rank and a magic skill. If somebody gets a free rank and a magic skill, as Willie and I have said, that's 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 huge. That's like a free rank and a combat skill, okay? Mm, mm. And we cost that at minus 10 XP, all right? Mm. And that's one free rank. So in in your example, Huli, if you had like basically an adversary talent that only applies to oppose magic checks or magic checks, that I should say, target the character would yep. be a better way to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably cost it the same, probably 10 XP per rank. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, once you start getting up to like the third tier, that's when you would start be going, yeah, it's a lot more expensive than the, because it starts changing the percentages and, and whatever else quite dramatically. Yeah, even then, man, so, if they want to uh, do minus 40 XP on a species, <laughs> like, okay. good, why good would luck. you do that? No, no, nobody's going to play that. Good luck. Like, <laughs> Yes. I can't believe it. He's completely resistant to magic. It's like, great. Well, it looks like his hit points are, or his, his wound threshold's crap. Why is his wound threshold kept? Probably because they didn't have the XP to make a decent wound threshold. Oh, wow. Well, get up there with your sword. Nope, he's dead. I mean, like, oh, uh, yeah. I was going to say, oh, my God, he's got like 40 uh, magic resistance. How are we going to kill him? Throw a brick at him. And- Throw a brick. <laughs> Throw a brick. Heart language. <laughs> And again, we're talking about a species, not a monster. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, right. so, yeah. So, so, I reckon it's just a simple upgrade. Um, yeah. And I like your explanation that it's only 10. Uh, and yeah, then, again, right. play with it. See how often it comes up. In a high magic setting, it's probably going to come up a lot. In a low magic setting, it may not turn up all the time at all. I, um, I fear that 10 might actually be under-costed. Okay. And let me tell you why. Okay. (laughs) Taking it as the inverse of getting a free rank and a magic skill isn't quite accurate. And this is the reason why. Mm. When you upgrade the difficulty of a magic check, Mm. you upgrade the chance of threat and despair. Now. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) I know where you went. (laughs) Because it's double nasty. Because it's magic. (laughs) It's it's it's, du- it's double super nasty because it's magic. Okay, yes. so you may even if you play test it out, mm. end up costing it at, uh, at 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 fifteen or twenty. Minutes. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't even consider that, but yeah, <laughs> it's like mm, two strain or a wound, right? Just for 
just for one threat. Nasty. <laughs> Nasty. Uh, Good dear. questions, guys. Good Ooh. questions. If you want, if you got questions, get them to us. GM Chris or G. Well, no, no, no. It's uh, we we have we have we have we, Forge Genesis email. We do yeah, absolutely. We have Forge yeah, Genesis specifically. Yeah, Forge Genesis at d20radio.com. You can um, find us there. Or hey, look, if you want to get our specific uh, answers uh, to from from us. Um, individually, by all means, send us through GM Chris at d20radio.com or GM Hooli at d20radio.com. So, but honestly, so yeah. just 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 go to our Discord or our social media. <laughs> well, I live on Facebook, so yeah. it, it it's better. <laughs> it's just better. Well, Hooli, I do believe that brings us to the end of yet another show. Indeed, it does. But we'll be back with a new episode very soon. But in the meantime, be sure to stay tuned for our um, upcoming micro-episodes, Fuel for the Foundry, uh, where we highlight um, all of the new products that are out there for you on the Genesis Foundry. And very soon, we'll be looking for new topics to discuss. Isn't that right, Chris? Uh, uh, that is right. Um, seriously, guys, we want to know what you want us to talk about next. I kind of handed it at it before, but we want you to come back to it. We have a few items on the docket, but honestly, your requests help us prioritize what we tackle next. So let us know. Anything specific you'd like to know about, we'll talk about. Mm. Um, ideas, requests for show topics, specific mechanics you want us to dive into, let us know. How can they let us know, Huli? I feel like we're repeating ourselves again, but it's important. <laughs> How can they let us know? So they can email us at forgedenesis at d20radio.com or post it up via one of the many social media platforms that I lurk about in. Now, that sounds creepy. Uh, where we have dedicated... Creepy, po- creepy guy, man. I'm, you know? <laughs> wow. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> hey, okay. We're creeps together. It's all right. Um, and, uh, yeah, where was I? Oh, that's right. Uh, so uh, just look for basically the burning question mark uh, on our little title there that um, says, please send us some questions. Um, or better yet, you can find us on the social medias just by searching for at Forge Genesis. Uh, I've also been seeing some great conversations on the D20 Radio Discord channel where the, it's just a hubbub of information, that place, and there is so much going on as far as the discussions about other games and and what's going on in real life for people and and whatever else and as people are moving into the more social aspects of of rather than being tied to online gaming as people are you know emerging from from their houses and and going out and speaking <laughs> my cocoon is broken <laughs> what <laughs> My cocoon, she is broken. Uh, I am going to fly. Go free into the wild. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yes, that is true. Um, But, uh, yeah, so go and take a look at those places or you can take a look at the uh, our podcast Discord server as well for all of our patrons uh, who, uh, you know, for that really dedicated conversations and uh, the dedicated support that our patrons provide us and help us keep, um, you know, doing what we do. <laughs> Breaking free of the cocoon. <laughs> um in all seriousness, guys, we'd love to hear from you. Don't forget, you can also join the even larger discussions in the D20 Radio Facebook Facebook group, where we nerds congregate to cross-pollinate. And don't forget to give us a like or a follow as well. You can also drop us a review so others can learn more about us. 
and it bumps us up in the queue. You can also visit our website at forgegenesis.com. Yes, please send us reviews. We want to know what you really think. No, don't necessarily do that. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a wrap for us. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we hope you will join us next time as we continue to explore the Genesis RPG. I'm Jim Hooley. May our triumphs be many, and your despairs be few. And I'm GM Chris, wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. Thanks again for joining us. And remember, the Forge Podcast helping you hone your gaming edge. The Forge and Genesis RPG Podcast is a proud member of the D20 Radio Network. For more information about the network, visit d20radio.com. The Forge is a fan-generated podcast. All of the information provided on the podcast, social media, and related website is not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, Edge Studios, or any of their license swords. The content of this podcast remains the property of the Forge and Genesis RPG Podcast and is intended for educational and informational purposes only. The Genesis Roleplay Game, Genesis Logo, Genesis Founding, content, and all material remain the property of Edge Studios. All products available on the Genesis Founding website remain the property of their respective companies and individuals. For more information about the Forge and Genesis RPG Podcast, visit forgegenesis.com. 